0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, August 25th, 2010. Settle in. This is going to be a long program. Last-second decisions here. Man, I... I don't want to cut any of it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, we chronicle a lot of that crazy stuff and counter it with God's Word. We work from the assumption that God's Word is true, and when people contradict it, uh, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's doing a new work that makes it okay for them to teach things that are contrary to the Word of God. It means that they're speaking falsely of God, that they are breaking the commandment that says, uh, you shall not use God's name in vain. Yeah, that—that blasphemy, that's what that is. It, It still exists, and unfortunately... We've got to point it out here for the sake of the truth, for the sake of the gospel, because uh, we have a great uh, enemy. His name is Satan, and he is, he really wants to deceive us and get our focus off of Christ and him crucified for our sins. And he's very busy in the church today. That being the case, well, we like to shine, uh, well, a big, 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 very bright light Uh, On the uh, cockroach activity of Satan and uh, so that uh, he can scurry away back into the darkness where he belongs and hopefully some of the churches will repent and turn the lights back on. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking anyway. Today's program folks, it's going to be a long one. I apologize for the length of it in advance and the majority of the program is going to be taken up in the sermon review today and uh, And the reason why it 's going to take so long is not because the lear- the sermon that i 'm reviewing is long. the sermon i 'm reviewing is only about thirty minutes in length. Uh, the reason why it 's going to take so long has to do with the fact that i 'm um, going to be doing a lot of biblical and and analogy work, if you would, because I think that this this particular sermon is just one of these so clear Sermons as to what's wrong with with what what is going wrong in the church today, that it warranted a more expanded biblical critique and um, some examples and metaphors in my teaching to help you understand what is wrong with it. So I apologize for the length of the of today's edition of Fighting for the Faith in advance. Uh, That being said, please listen to uh, the entire program. And don't don't skip out on the sermon review today. Don't don't skip out. It, it, I promise it'll be worth it. I promise it'll be worth it. Uh, that being said, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on the program today. I don't want to cut anything out. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, to kind of ease into the program, what I thought I would, uh, I, I found a link. So I, I, there's a a Catholic apologist that I follow, uh, not because I agree with him, but because I disagree with him. And uh, he linked to something that I thought would just kind of was really insightful. Uh, there's a uh, there's a group of folks on the Internet. I can't really speak too much to their theology yet. I haven't really done the wider research. But I, I like some of their critiques. The, the, their uh, their username on YouTube is Theater of the Word, Inc. Theater of the Word, Inc. That's all squished together. So it's Theater of the Word, Inc. Yeah, that's, that's how you would, I guess you'd have to say it. But it's Theater of the Word, Inc., and uh, they have a series of uh, parody-type videos that um, actually are really good. And uh, this particular one is called "Religion in the Modern World," or you can rename this. Um, your your intolerance will not be tolerated. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I think it's worth um, listening in on. And then um, yeah, uh, uh, William Tapley, the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, has a new video up. You gotta le- you gotta hear it because it's just. <laughs> Like woo, crazy, yeah. It's, it, you, I. I don't want to pass up opportunities to hear from folks like William Tapley and Patricia King because, well, they hate, They help me feel sane. <laughs> I just, it's a different story altogether. And uh, and then I, I got some news regarding the ELCA. Yeah, the, the folks over at the ELCA have completely uh, left the. Um, have left Christianity. They're, they are gone. They, Christianity, uh, Christ, and the gospel have left the building. And uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. we got a headline, uh, two two uh, stories from the Christian Post, and uh, the one the one reads, Conservative Lutherans to form new church body in North America, and another one is ELCA head uh, response to rival church body. We'll be taking a look at that and then also talking about... Uh, an email that I received from a person who sent me to a blog run by witches. Now you're sitting there going, what? Yeah. I'm not talking about witchcraft today, but I was sent to a a Wicca blog. Um, The name of the blog is Wiccan Together. And uh, they've noticed uh, it's come onto the Wiccan radar that some of the folks in the ELCA have discovered a goddess. And so, uh, what I'm going to do, as well, since we're going to be talking about the ELCA, um, is um, I have now come into be the pos- I come into the possession of uh, the official liturgy that was used on July 25th of this year in San Francisco for a reinstallment service. There were seven openly gay, non repentant uh, homosexuals who uh, a few years ago had been uh, dismissed from, uh, the pre- uh, from the clergy roles from the ELCA, and now that the ELCA has changed their policy and they'll take unrepentant homosexuals, uh, they had a reinstallment service. I happen to be in possession of that particular liturgy, and I will be making this available for you all to download so that you can take a look at it yourself. Uh, but uh, there's some things I would like to point out to you from this particular um, uh, yeah, uh, from this particular liturgy. By the way, it'll be available as a download at fightingforthefaith.com for this edition of Fighting for the Faith. Today's edition uh, being Wednesday, August 25th, 2010. It'll be in the program notes, uh, li- listed underneath the uh, the link to the audio file, where you'll be able to download this quote rite of reception that was uh, performed July 25th, 2010, to reinstall these unrepentant, openly uh, gay homosexual clergy persons. You can't say clergymen because I think there's lesbians as well as um, men in the group, and I just I th- there's there's a lot of things I could talk about, but I'm going to highlight the things that the Wiccan folks had uh, noticed, and uh, so lots of stuff that we could cover today. And by the way, there was somebody. Let me see if I can po- find this email real quick. Somebody had, uh, sent me an email asking a question about what the um, the. Uh, Connection between the ELCA and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is. Let's make this perfectly clear. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod considers the ELCA to be an apostate, non-Christian uh, group. Period. Okay, and so we do not have table fellowship with them. We don't uh, allow their pastors to preach in our pulpits. Uh, and uh, you know, you know, with the the idea here is is that there are confessional guys trapped in the ELCA and we uh, here at Pirate Christian Radio there's a couple of really good ELCA guys we play them on the radio not because they're in the ELCA but because they're confessional and trapped in the ELCA and they are seeking a way out at this point Um, as far as uh, ties with the LCMS and the ELCA the ties really only connect as far as our mercy missions are concerned and that has to do with uh, feeding the poor and and, uh, those types of outreaches um, and the reality is is that uh that uh, the LCMS in reaching out to the poor um and to the needy in our mercy missions uh you know we don't I, that's not word and sacrament ministry and so uh what's Rick Warren's term co-belligerent we don't have a problem being a co-belligerent with uh, different denominations that we disagree with when it comes to uh you know reaching out to the poor So that's really kind of our connection to them, and that's really our only connection because otherwise we are in their face to let them know that they are heading towards hell and sending people there uh, as well as uh, sending themselves there through their false doctrine, their false gospel, and their liberal eye. This is what happens to a denomination. This is what happens to denominations or any church body or group uh, that uh, abandons uh, God's authoritative word, the preaching of Christ and him crucified for our sins, preaching law and gospel, sin and grace. And uh, it decides that they want to become friends with the world. This is what happens to them. The ELCA is a perfect example of what happens uh, when you try to uh, make friends with the world and, and you know shave off the hard edges of the message to make it appealing to non-believers. What ends up happening is you lose the gospel, you lose the truth, and you, you drift off into complete pagan apostasy. And so uh, you know we, th- that's the things we're going to talk about today. And then I've I got another headline that hopefully we'll get to. This is from The Guardian in the UK. This is not a Christian uh, news outlet, but the headline reads, African clergy told to re-evangelize ailing Anglican church. <sighs> yeah, we'll talk about the irony of that today. So lots of stuff to do. And then our sermon review today uh, comes to us via Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. And the name of it is uh, Dreammaker. Listening to your life coach. Yeah, this is about making God your life coach. Yeah, I remember the day when we talked about, you know, the the typical common language in Christian evangelical American evangelical ease was, "Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior?" Well, that's all gone. Who who wants that? That, Who needs a Lord or a Savior? No, it's have you made Jesus your life coach? And so, again, this sermon review is going to take a while. And the reason why is because I'm going to be doing a lot of biblical corrective work, and this is like the quintessential seeker-driven sermon. This is this is it. I mean, complete with the way it twists the Bible, the emphasis of where it's at. I mean, and so there's a lot of the lot of stuff I've tried to pack into this sermon review, and it will take a while. So uh, settle in, put your seatbelts on, helmet if you have it. <laughs> No, make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers are great uh, if you're listening on a treadmill or, or on your drive to work. Just settle in. Relax. Relax. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and it's going to take some time, and we're not in a hurry. That's The one thing I like about the format for my program is because I'm not tied to a traditional radio slot, I go until the job I wanted to accomplish is finished, and that's how it works. So some of our programs are shorter. Some of them are longer. Today's a longer one. Stay with it. I promise you it'll be worth it. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and um, I don't have a, a musical entry for this particular type of segment, but I would like to play for you the audio from Theater of the Word Incorporated and their video on YouTube entitled Religion in the Modern World. I it, it, This could be subtitled or re, uh, retitled, um, Your Intolerance Will Not Be Tolerated, and Boy, does this thing nail it! Here we go. A little bit of satire to begin the day. I should tell you where this takes place. It takes place at a community college. You're in in a community college classroom setting, and uh, the 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 whiteboard says "religion in the modern world," and the "o" in the world has a big peace symbol in it. That should cue you to us what type of religion professor uh, we're going to be learning from.
1: Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all here to this class. This is Religion in the Modern World, and I'm your facilitator, Mr. Stanford Nutting. I'm, a, I'm an adjunct here, and I really love it. You can call me Stan, by the way. You don't have to call me Mr. Nutting. Just call me Stan. Speaking of Stan, I shouldn't be standing at this podium now, should I? Now, think about it. Because if I were standing at this podium talking down to you, well, then I'd be standing at this podium talking down to you. And we don't want that. I'm not an instructor. I don't teach anything. I facilitate. So let's facilitate together. Let's put our chairs into a great big circle, huh? Come on now. Come on now. Put your chairs into a circle. That's it that's what we'll do that's the way there we go now there we go that's better now that's better i want to learn from you i I don't know anything well i've learned that much haven't i see how this works we learn from one another so let me do some sharing first okay see I have some background in this subject, religion in the modern world. Ever since I left seminary in the 70s, I've been fascinated by the topic of religion in the modern world because there is nothing more important than the modern world, you see? Now you share. You just go and share a little bit, okay?
2: Uh, Okay. Um.
0: Well, my name's uh, Adam, and uh, I I didn't really have any religious uh, education growing up. Um, I first got interested in religion uh, when I wrote
1: a book called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton. Have you read Orthodoxy? No, I have not read Orthodoxy. Why not? Well, for one thing, I object to the title. Do you know what the word Orthodoxy means? I looked it up. It means orthodoxy, right teaching. And that's just wrong. There is no right and in this class there is no teaching. Orthodoxy is judgmental. Religion is not about saying that there's a right and a wrong, a yes and a no, a true and a false. Religion is bigger than that. It's about tolerance. And so I will not tolerate any mention of that anti-Semitic, medievalistic, misogynistic, homophobic, pre post G.K. Chesterton. Not in this class! Okay, all right. Mm. Now then, Gavin, now then who else wants to share? Uh,
0: <laughs> I think that makes the point rather well, don't you? <clears throat> I can't add anything else to that. Um, I am going to have to expand uh, this segment here. Um, Yeah, this music now applies not only to the Patricia King gang, but William Tapley, third eagle of the apocalypse. Yeah, he's uh, figured out the uh, biblical number for uh, Barack Obama. It's not 666, by the way. Just want to let you all know that. In case you were thinking Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Well, William Tapley, thankfully, has uh, posted uh, a video yesterday that clears all this up, and, and he is verified that Barack Obama is not the Antichrist, whose number is 666, but is instead the leopard of the um, Book of Daniel and um, um, Book of Revelation, and his number is actually 444. Right, yeah. Um, so, uh, so this as a public service uh, to you, uh, the Fighting for the Faith, faith listeners, Um, Here is uh, William Tapley explaining uh, all of this very difficult to understand uh, biblical prophecy regarding the end times, but thankfully he's the co-prophet of the end times and the third eagle of the apocalypse and can explain these divine mysteries to us.
3: Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. On this program, I want to report to you an amazing development. And that is that Almighty God has verified what I have been saying all along about Barack Obama. And that is that he is found in Bible prophecy. And his number is 444. Almost two years ago, I warned the American people that Obama was the leopard, as found in Daniel chapter number 7, and the last king of the south, as found in Daniel chapter number 11. The reason he is the leopard is because the four heads and the four wings on the leopard signify that Obama is our 44th president elected on the 4th of November. Uh, And the reason he
0: is the last... Who knew? I mean, wow, what a service he's done for us by showing how the four wings and the four heads and the... Uh, relate to the 44th president who was elected on November 4th of 2008.
3: King of the South is because Daniel arranged the verses in chapter number 11 into a four-four-four, six-six-six, and 555 sequence. The first 12 verses refer to Obama. He will be defeated by the next 18 verses, which refer to the Antichrist, who in turn will be defeated By Mary's Rosary, which is indicated by the last 15 verses in a 555 sequence.
1: Yeah,
0: so let's see if we have this straight. So, Barack Obama, who is the leopard of Daniel, his number is 444, and he, Barack Obama, will be defeated by the 666, the Antichrist, but then the 666 will then be defeated by Mary's Rosary. Yeah, uh, folks, um, this is what happens to people who. Um, I, I'm, he may have lost his mind. This may be a result of him, William Tapley, doing LSD in the 60s. I don't know, but yeah, none of this is even coherent.
3: Now, the amazing verification of this numerology was found when Barack Obama went to Chicago for his birthday this year. His birthday itself. Is a 444 four, four number because he was born on August the 4th. And August, of course, is the 8th month of the year and can be expressed as 4 plus 4. Obama's adopted hometown is Chicago, and he went there this year to celebrate his birthday on the 4th and 5th of August. The very next day, on August 6th, God gave an amazing verification that his number in Bible prophecy is 444.
0: Really? It, um, what, what would the amazing verification be, William? Please tell us, oh, third eagle of the apocalypse.
3: That's because four sisters gave birth to four babies in four days.
0: You know, I totally missed that. I, You know, and I, I, I like to think that I'm a theologian who understands religious things. I totally missed that there were four sisters who had four babies in four days. I mean... I am reading the wrong news outlets.
3: Let's look at the headlines which described this amazing event. Four sisters deliver four babies within four days. What an amazing headline. Family says timing was unplanned. Well, maybe the family did not plan it, but God Almighty did. One Chicago family received an exciting gift this past weekend when four sisters... Each delivered babies within days of each other. I'm sure I don't have to tell you the amazing astronomical odds against such an event occurring.
0: Uh, please, can you fill us in a little bit? I mean...
3: <sighs> it would be amazing enough if four sisters anywhere gave birth to four babies in four days.
0: I, I, I'm, yeah, it's so... I mean, wow. How again does this tie into Barack Obama? Is he the father of all four of these children?
3: But for that to occur with four women from the Chicago area, three of them were in Chicago, one was in California, and for it to occur on the weekend following Obama's birthday celebration in Chicago is astounding. This can only be described as a verification by God Almighty that Barack Obama is found in Bible prophecy... And his number is four, four, four.
0: (laughs) Uh, Maybe it just means that these women are married and fertile and.
3: And now I have a warning for you false prophets. I explained this to you almost two years ago, two months before the election. You have not picked up on this. Your followers accuse me of being a false prophet, but you are misleading them. I,
0: <clears throat> William, um, since you claim to be a co-prophet, I mean, you either are a true prophet or you're a false prophet. Um, see, the thing is, is I think it's, it's an insult to prophets to actually raise you to the level of false prophet status. I mean... You're not right. You're not even wrong. I mean,
3: this is just lunacy. Here God is verifying what I have been saying all along. You have been appointed watchman on the wall, but you are failing to warn the American people. You only have a few months, if that much, to wake up and change your tune. You must warn the American people and the world of the imminence of World War 3. This is not described just in Daniel 7 and Daniel 11, but also read Jeremiah chapter 50 verses 41 through 44. These also describe World War 3. Obama is not just the last King of the South or the leopard, he is also the King of Babylon in Jeremiah. These passages describe him as a lion and of course we know he is a leopard from Daniel. You false prophets, the blood of the American people will be on your hands. When you appear before Judgment Day, God is going to say he did not know you. You will claim to...
0: Yeah, well, again, could God speak a little clearer, please? I mean, seriously, how do you connect four women having four babies within four days as... um, How do you connect that to Obama? I mean, seriously, I mean, you're, you're, you're finding Bible prophecy and, and verification of God's work in baseball games. I mean, good night. No- I can't wait to hear what you do with George Steinbrenner's death. I mean, I, I can't keep up with all the sports to, you know, to find out what God is saying. Oh, this
3: is just... Prophesy in his name, but you do not. You have failed in being watchman on the wall. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, you know, I I fail as a watchman on the wall because I point people to the Bible rather than sports games and news headlines.
3: (sighs) And some of you false prophets are even pounding the drum for war with Iran. Don't you understand it is... Uh, That wouldn't be me. ...prophesied that America and Obama will lose this war? You claim that this forthcoming war refers to Ezekiel? Not at all. The war in Ezekiel... Apparently he's
0: in a debate with other false prophets.
3: <laughs> ...refers to Armageddon, not World War III. Gog and Magog lose the last two wars in Revelation, but they win the first war. That is the war that we are facing. I call it World... Can you diagram this for... I, I need a map. ...of War III, but it will involve practically all the nations of the world, particularly... Britain, America, and Russia, all three horns which must be brought down before the Antichrist can come to power. So, in conclusion, if you false prophets don't want to admit that I told you so, if you don't want to admit that Obama is the leopard, at least listen to what God is telling you. This 444 amazing sequence in Chicago was not an accident. Barack Obama was there to celebrate his birthday. And those four sisters... Yeah,
0: no, again, I, I would only believe it if Barack was the father of all four of those children.
3: This gave birth to four babies in four days. That can only have one significance. That means that Obama is found in Bible prophecy, and his number is 444. And if <sighs> if any of you would like a free copy of my book, Reverend... no, no. No.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> It's like, what on earth?
0: Seriously? I think the guy needs to be drug screened. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's pirate Christian. Uh, We'll be right back.
4: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
3: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
2: (laughs) It's... Marty Python! Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian turtle. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
5: Uh, what?
2: you want have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are.
5: Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat>
0: I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition.
5: Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do. Our chief ex- weapons are. Our chief weapons are um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And okay.
2: Stop, stop that. Stop that. Uh, our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth, Pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead?
5: Well, we're we're innocent.
2: innocent. Ha! Ha! Ha <laughs> <laughs> We'll soon change your mind about that!
0: Dr. Rod Rosenblatt discussing the church's need for world class scholarship and the unique way in which the British academic model offered at the Wittenberg Institute can help provide you with a top level postgraduate theological degree.
5: Christians are dependent on good scholarship in a way that sometimes we forget. Think of Tyndall House in England. Some of those evangelicals were so ruled away from the big table conversation in the Church of England, that they had to develop graduate training under particular guys who had a high view of Christ and a high view of Scripture. Over the years, they did marvelous stuff with individual young scholars who came there to be trained. So what's the difference
0: between the European model and the American model?
5: The European is used to saying things like, I studied under so and so, and the american uh, that's pretty foreign and i 'm not here talking about the diploma mills i 'm talking about somebody who is tutored something like Oxford or at Cambridge, and uh walked through graduate work.
0: If you would like more information about the Wittenberg Institute's British-styled research master's degree, then visit them on the web at wittenberginstitute.org forward slash PCR or call them at area code 425-533-8659. back. Warning, getting your biblical prophecy updates from the third eagle of the apocalypse would like to be getting it from your local loony bin. I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. Now, you've heard the pitch a bazillion times, and I know that there's a bunch of you out there listening who are not supporters of the program. We need you to become a financial supporter of Fighting for the Faith. And the way you do that is by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, see, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. And believe me, every little bit really counts. It really does, especially in these uh, lean... Uh, summer months, so uh, you know we could truly use your uh, financial partnership with us because i I take it that if you 're a regular listener to the program that you you really are getting something from this that this has been something that is beneficial to you, and that as a result of the work that we do here, it has opened your eyes to sound biblical doctrine, law and gospel, sin and grace, and the need for the gospel and as a result of it, uh, you know that being the case if we 've really been a benefit to you um, I, I you know I cannot emphasize enough that we need your financial help in order to continue to bring you this program. So, visit our website, choose one of the buttons, the the uh, join our crew button signs you up for an automatic $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount, you can cl- you can click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 460 Three eight. Okay, moving along here. From the Christian Post, headline reads: "Conservative Lutherans to form new church body in North America." Yeah, we're going to be doing some ELCA work here in this segment. Here, this is written by Joshua Goldberg, uh, a Christian Post reporter. Uh, the uh, story reads, more than 1,000 Lutherans from throughout North America will gather this week in Grove City, Ohio, to form a new church body for confessional Lutherans. At this week's two-day gathering, members of the Lutheran Corps will adopt a constitution that will give birth to the North American Lutheran Church, that, Yeah, the NALC, and uh, which the movement director says will embody the center of Lutheranism in America, embody the, embody the center now i, I got i gotta tell you you know um i I, I would not join the n a l c and the reason why is because they have ordained women and uh, so they don 't want they 're not truly ultimately confessional there's some problems there they i i don 't mean to sound fatalistic but because at their formation they 're basically institutionalizing um a a hermeneutic that ultimately undermines the scripture. It's just a matter of time before they head in the exact same direction that the ELCA headed into. Yeah, it's true because the same arguments that were used to ordain women by the ELCA are the same arguments that were used to ordain, uh, homosexuals. So, you know, I don't mean them any, I don't wish them any ill, um, and I, But in this particular case, there's a problem, and that's and that problem has to do with how they're handling God's Word. So uh, let's see. Uh, quote, the NALC will uphold confessional principles dear to the Lutherans, including a commitment to the authority of the Bible, a commitment to it. Mm-hmm, and uh, the Lutheran Confession said the Reverend Mark Chavez, director of the Lutheran Corps, in an announcement. Quote, we have a great opportunity before us, added the Reverend Paul Spring, chair of Lutheran Corps, We not only want to look back toward the past, but to look ahead to the mission God has given us to confess Christ faithfully, to witness to others, and to grow in God's mission. This is our opportunity now in Lutheran Corps and the North American Lutheran Church. Lutherans throughout the United States have been reacting to actions by the Evangelical Lutheran Church in recent years, including the approval of a policy to allow pastors to be in same sex relationships. And to officiate at same-sex union ceremonies, although national and international media have focused on the church on the church body's struggle over sexual uh, sexual <clears throat> sexuality issues, Lutheran Core leaders note that the problems in the ELCA are not really about sexual behavior, but rather an ongoing movement away from the authority and the teaching of the Bible throughout the ELCA. Now, I, I think they're correct in pointing that out. The problem is, is that uh, because they have ordained women, I don't think they're in the right. They still are not fully committed to the authority of Scripture and what it teaches. Quote, It was not our choice to leave the ELCA, but the ELCA has chosen to reject the faith once delivered to the saints. Now that's true. So now we are acting to maintain our position within the consensus of the Church Catholic, remarked uh, Ryan Schwartz, chair of Lutheran Corps' Vision and Planning Working Group. At an upcoming convocation of Lutheran Corps, the proposals to be considered have have been designed Struggling today? hmm uh, The proposals to be considered have been designed to provide a way for Lutherans to uphold biblical teaching and to move forward together. In addition to creating the NALC, uh, Lutheran Corps' 2010 convocation will also consider proposals for the continuation of Lutheran Corps as a confessional and confessing unity movement for traditional Lutherans, regardless of the church body affiliation, including in particular those traditional Lutherans who will, re, who will remain in the ELCA for the time being. Now, I read that and then right on its heels <clears throat> another Christian Post uh, article, entitled ELCA Head Responds to Rival Lutheran Church Body. This would be Bishop Mark Hansen of the ELCA, and uh, this was written by Lillian Kwan. The head of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America responded to plans for a rival church urging fellow Lutherans to avoid slander. Um, They didn't slander the ELCA. Quote, We are to fear and love God, he's quoting, Luther Small Catechism. So we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light, said the Reverend Mark S. Hansen, presiding bishop of the ELCA. As he recited words from the Evangelical Lutheran Worship, actually no, that's from Luther's Small Catechism. Um, by the way, uh, the the Eighth Commandment does not prohibit somebody to speak truthfully about somebody who's apostate. Yeah, you see, he's covering himself in this language about not bearing false witness. Um, to, that we are to fear and love God, so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors. It's not a lie to say that the Lutheran, the ELCA has abandoned the faith once for all delivered to the saints it is not a lie nor is it slanderous to say that they no longer uh, preach his, the historic christian faith but they bought into a liberal lie and they've left they've left the christian reservation they're gone that's not slander that's the truth and so here's the deal heretics within lutheran circles love to to shroud themselves in Luther 's small catechism here, and so you can 't speak you cannot speak that way of us because you have to put the best construction on everything. The best construction is are you ready you 're a heretic that 's the best construction that 's not the worst okay The best construction is that mark Hansen and the e l c are apostates that 's the best construction, and it 's not slander or slanderous to say that that's speaking the truth. It would be a lie to say, Oh, well, they're Christians just like you and I see. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you attack the authority of scripture. It doesn't matter if you have unrepentant homosexuals as your pastors and you support them in the ministry. No, 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 that doesn't matter. That would be a lie. See, that's bearing false witness. Hansen made the statement in a pastoral letter Tuesday, uh, days before hundreds of dissenting Lutherans are scheduled to constitute a separate denomination called the North American Lutheran Church. The NALC is intended to provide a home for Lutherans discontent with the ELCA's ongoing movement away from the authority and the teaching of the Bible. See, my question is for the NALC folk, if they're really confessional, if if they're really, really committed to the uh, to the confessions of the lutheran church and true biblical authority then why don't they just come on over to missouri we continue Uh, Dozens of congregations have taken votes to sever ties with the ELCA over the past year since the ELCA's highest legislative body voted to allow gays and lesbians in in publicly accountable, lifelong, monogamous, same-gender relationships to serve as clergy. So as long as you're not running around on your homosexual uh, your, uh, homosexual partner, it's okay for you to be an ordained minister in the ELCA. Quote, it was not our choice to leave the ELCA, but the ELCA has chosen to reject the faith once delivered to the saints. That's correct. So now we are acting to maintain our position within the consensus of the Church Catholic, explained Ryan Schwarz of Washington, D.C., chair of the Lutheran Corps' Vision and Planning Working Group. Lutheran Corps is aiding the formation of a new Lutheran body. In response to the NALC, uh, Hansen alluded to a possible future relationship between the ELC and the new body, but added a cautionary note, quote, we must ask how this separation of the body of Christ will serve the ministry and the message of reconciliation entrusted to us by God, he stated. Yeah, see, that's the thing, uh, Mark. Um, you you folks in the ELC are not truly preaching uh, the reconciliation won by Christ on the cross because you are not calling homosexuals to repent of their sins and be forgiven by Christ. And as a result of it, you think that they can maintain their hostile relationship to God and his word and continue in sin uh, by but don't call it sin but continue in their sin and that it's okay for them to to do so it's not the apostle paul writing under the inspiration of the holy spirit makes it clear homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of god plain and simple it doesn't get any simpler than that <clears throat> quote the elca has and will continue to reach out to others for the sake of the gospel and serving our neighbor. Sounds so pious, doesn't it? Standing together, we are known as a church that rolls up its sleeves and solves problems. The church that is a catalyst, convener, and bridge builder. Our strong ecumenical relationships and global partnerships testify to that commandment. What did any of that mean? None, that didn't mean any of anything. Quote, Yet before the ELCA can undertake any such efforts with a new Lutheran church body, I believe that we must commit to obey the commandment against bearing false witness and to commit to live its meaning in every setting, both private and public. They aren't lying. They weren't bearing false witness when they said that you are apostate, that you no longer confess and believe the historic Christian faith. That isn't a lie. That's the truth. That's not bearing false witness. Amid the debates and disagreements, Hansen made clear to members of the ELCA that there is room. We have room for divergent views on sexuality within the denomination while calling for dialogue, conversation. He urged restraint against judgments. Hmm. God's word already has judged. Quote, we live in a world that is plagued by incivility. (laughs) willful misunderstanding and hurtful caricatures of those with whom one disagrees. Let us declare that such behaviors will stop with us. He stated, there's room in the church for vigorous dialogue that witnesses to faith without rushing into judgment and closing off discussion. Yeah. Only heretics want to engage in long discussion that goes nowhere. Remember Christ said, those who seek him will find him, not engage in an endless journey of discussion and dialogue. The NALC convocation is scheduled to begin on Friday in Grove City, Ohio, with more than 1,000 participants, including representatives of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania and the Ethiopian Evangelical Church, Mekane Yesu, uh, two of the largest Lutheran churches in the world. And we pray for them. God, give them wisdom. Uh, I... I know that they want to uh, abide by biblical authority. The problem is is that they, they're they already compromised, even before they start. So we pray that Christ would grant them wisdom and the forgiveness of their sins and co- bring them to repentance. Now, talking about the ELCA, by the way, I have no problem saying that uh, Mark Hansen and the liberals in the ELCA, they do not teach Christianity, and their Christianity is not biblical. It will send people to hell. And that they're drifting farther and farther into more bizarre uh, heresy than you can possibly imagine. That being said, I was sent a link. i literally, there was an email that came to me that the only thing in the email was a link and the link went to a website entitled Wiccan together. Yeah, this is a website run by Wiccans, witches, people who are into witchcraft and paganism. The headline reads "Heresy in, in the and the ELCA." What does this have to do with Wicca, paganism, and witchcraft? Um, this was by, written by a person who calls herself Yaro Sage, August fifteenth, twenty ten, in their general discussion section. She says, "Hello again, all. So I just couldn't help uh, but to share this with you. I can see uh, I can see some of the implications it's going to have on the pagan community, but it's also very." Th- uh thorough and thought-provoking and some of you know me and i love to think a lot i was just wondering what yarrow sage is going to do in this forum discussion well the short version is that the elca also known as the evangelical lutheran church in america has apparently found a goddess yeah this is a wiccan pointing out the fact that the elca has apparently found a goddess and what you cry out a goddess a female interpretation of the divine you say well, yes, and here's some of the fantastic linkage to the story and the actual ritual documents that show everything that happened. So um, Yarrow Sage points us to several pages, and when you follow the pages, you come to some links, and one of the links takes you to a PDF. The PDF is act- is the actual um, Lutheran liturgy. I can't even call it Lutheran. The actual apostate pagan liturgy that was, quote, followed uh, during the um, reinstallment of uh, seven actively unrepentant homosexual um, pastors and pastrixes. Yeah, this uh, occurred on Sunday, July 25th, 2010, uh, the ninth Sunday in Pentecost at... St. Mark's Lutheran Church in San Francisco, California. It's the celebration of Holy Communion with the rite of reception. Yeah, and uh, it was basically to reinstall these seven unrepentant uh, partnered gay and lesbian, quote, clergy, okay? And uh, I, I'm going to make this available. I'm going to link to this on the FightingForTheFaith.com website so you can download it and you can take a look at it yourself. Now, I'm not going to discuss everything that's in here because keep in mind, <clears throat> the Wicca folks, Yaro Sage, the witch, uh, was, was very excited about the fact that apparently the ELCA has discovered a goddess. So I, I, page 11 of the liturgy uh, begins with their prayers of intercession. Uh, And so they want people, uh, those who attended, stood up while these prayers were read. Let me read. Um, So with the whole people of God in Christ Christ Jesus, let us pray for the church and those in need and all of God's creation. O morning star, we awake to this new day with celebration and joy in our hearts. Bless Paul, Jeff, Craig, Don, Megan, Sharon, and Ross. That's the name of the homosexuals unrepentant, practicing partnered homosexuals who were being reinstalled as pastors and pastrixes, as they are welcome into the clergy roster of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and bless our church as we receive them more fully into partnership with us in our proclamation of the gospel, Most Holy One. Hear us, we pray. O oh, gracious one, open our eyes to the to the delightful diversity of your creation. Open our hearts to your loving kindness, open our lives to the grace that we are called to share with all your human family, oh most holy one, oh Sophia, wisdom and mother of us all <clears throat> let me, let, me let, let who's being invoked here listen, oh Sophia, wisdom and mother of us all one with many names and images. May we see in all who are gathered here today your multiplicity of blessings. Today we honor your unlocking systems and practices that devalued and demeaned us for so many years by putting your way of honoring people in its place. O most holy one. So, uh, uh, what? Yeah, they they were praying to Sophia, uh, the wisdom and mother of us all. It gets better. Um, (laughs) During the section of the... uh, the uh, liturgy on page sixteen, where um, the the Lord's Prayer occurred, you have um, you could you could say the Lord's Prayer, "Our Father who art in heaven." We all know that one, but here is some alternate prayers that uh, were also offered. Um, here we go: uh, e- Eternal Spirit, Earth Maker, Pain Bearer, and Life Giver, sor- Source of all that is that is and shall be, Father and Mother of us all. Loving God, in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name, echo through the universe, the way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom, sustain our hope and come on earth with the bread we need for today. Feed us in the hurts we absorb from one another. Forgive us in times of temptation and test and strengthen us from trials too great to endure. Spare us from the grip of all that is evil. Free us. For your reign in the glory of the power that is love now and forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the eternal spirit, the father and mother of us all. Now it gets even better. Here's a great one. This, this is found on page 16 of their liturgy. Are you ready? Are you seated down? Do you have your helmet on? <clears throat> Our mother who is within us, we celebrate your many names. Your wisdom come, your will be done, unfolding from the depths within us. Each day you give us all that we need. You remind us of our limits and we let go. You support us in our power and we act in our courage. For, for you are the dwelling place within us, empowerment around us, and the celebration among us now and forever. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Oh, mother who is within us. Uh, folks. These folks, the, these people in the ELCA they're not actually praying to Yahweh. They're not praying to Jesus Christ. They're praying to pagan goddesses that have been shrouded in Christianese language. Our mother who is within us, that's not the triune God. That is just rank paganism. And the thing that frightens me in all of this, okay, is something a little bit more personal and a little bit more closer to home for me. Last year, I had the opportunity of meeting, personally, Nadia Bowles-Weber. Nadia Bowles-Weber of the Emergent Church fame. Nadia Bowles-Weber and I are now friends. I talk to her from time to time, and I pray for her often. This is a woman who I am praying that God would open her eyes and bring her to repentance, and one who is really struggling with, with law and gospel, sin and grace and God's word. Out of anybody in the emergent church, I think she has a chance. Uh, Literally, I think God is wrestling with her. And sadly, she was the one who offered the sermon at this event. This is not something to rejoice over. This is something to mourn over. The folks who are leaving the ELCA and starting the North American Lutheran Church, they're right. They were not bearing false witness when they say, that the ELCA no longer teaches the historic Christian faith. They're apostate. They're gone. The ELCA only preaches a road that that literally ends in the great lake of fire and hell. We must keep them in our prayers, and at any opportunity we have, preach the truth to them, call out their sins, call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins and the true ministry of reconciliation we're up on our second break remember our sermon review is going to run a little long today so please stay with it if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith you can do so my email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook it's facebook.com forward slash christian. or you can follow me on Twitter my name there, Pirate christian. we'll be right back
4: ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: This is
2: the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough.
0: Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Are you tired of giving gifts that are as boring as elevator music? I mean, how many ties and dust collecting paperweights does a person need? Well, Pirate Christian Radio has the perfect solution to boring gifts. The answer is Cloud 9 Living. Cloud 9 Living offers more than 1,600 unique and memorable experience gifts in 42 cities nationwide. Gifts such as hot air balloon rides, dinner cruises, stock car racing, skydiving, and combat aircraft dogfighting. Cloud9 Living has gifts for every taste and every budget. For more information on Cloud9 Living, visit com forward slash cloud9. Again, that's com forward slash cloud9. You'll be glad that you did. right, we're back. Sermon review time. Yeah, this, um, let me cue up the sermon review music before I get into this. Oh, this sermon, uh, was thinking, you know, I, after listening to it the first time, I thought, how can we really show what's really going wrong here? I think I have an idea. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, the name of the sermon is Dream Maker, Listening to Your Life Coach. Let me read that again, Dream Maker, Listening to Your Life Coach. The pastor preaching it is a gentleman by the name of Rick Schurz, S-C-H-U-R-T-Z, Schurz, Schurz, so, 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 so. Now, as you're listening to this sermon, what I would like you to do is I would like you to imagine. Uh, you know, these guys use a lot of imagination in their sermons and, dream and dreams and creativity and things like that. So we're, we're going to use our imaginations. So put your thinking cap on and imagine, if you would, that on the, on the Friday, before you went to Gateway church you visited your doctor not for the first time but you visited your doctor and it's that visit was part of a long series of visits it began with an examination where there was the doctor talking about a lump and then the lump led to a biopsy and the biopsy led to some anxious waiting for test results and then the test results led to well hearing those terrible words cancer and so there was more tests there was a whole battery of things that you were told by your doctor there was they were there was poking there was prodding there was image resin you know imaging done on all the different parts and what they discovered is is that that lump was just the tip of the iceberg In fact, your body is so ravaged with cancer that, well, you won't even be alive next Friday. So, on the Friday visit to your doctor, the doctor said, put your stuff in order. You will not be here a week from today. So, in desperation, because you... You know that there's a God and you know that, well, you haven't lived a life that is even remotely close to something that somebody would call good or righteous. You've been mostly good, but you've cut corners and you you know your sin. And so in desperation, you are looking for answers. You need to get right with God and you have less than a week to do it. And so you search the newspaper in Austin, Texas, and you find an advertisement in a local paper, or maybe you received a mailing recently from them, talking about that they have a comfortable atmosphere, come-as-you-are kind of church, a place where you can feel welcome. And so you, in desperation, attend Gateway Church that Sunday and this is the sermon that you hear now so use your imagination okay that's the setup now as we read as not read as we listen to the sermon okay i'm going to keep reminding you remember you have cancer and you're dying you will not be here next Sunday you will be dead by next Sunday that's 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 the setup Okay, this, as you're listening, keep that in the forefront. I'll remind you from time to time. And then I thought just to add in some good measure here, because there's some serious stuff going wrong in this sermon. I mean, majorly wrong stuff. Um, I will be reading from the opening chapters to the book entitled Fox's Book of Martyrs. Okay, So yeah, there's there's a few things that are happening in in the sermon that I just, yeah, because I want to flesh out and show you what's wrong with this. Okay, so with that, here is uh, Rick Schertz, Dream Maker, listening to your life coach. Here we go.
6: Your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss, whoever it is, this alpha male who thinks that he rules the world is sitting across the table from you and he's jawing along talking about the company and all these ideas and all the while there's something stuck between his two front teeth, right? This piece of lettuce that's working its way out. Now, if it was a friend, you would stop and say something to this friend, but the fact that it's like your boss's boss, you're kind of enjoying the spectacle of the event, so you don't say a word, right? That's just one example of looking like a fool, but being seemingly unaware of it. Like somebody thinks he looks good, looks authoritative, looks normal. I suspect you're having trouble thinking of other examples. So let me give you another one. This one's a classic. You're in class. The professor walks in. Class begins. all's going well till he turns around to write on the board, and there's like toilet paper hanging out of the back of his pants. Maybe you've seen this happen. I saw it happen one time in a class. Evidently, professor know-it-all. Doesn't like sitting directly on the toilet seat, right? But, you know, unbeknownst to him, he's carrying the evidence with him. Uh, Nobody in the class says anything, of course. Why would they? Economics has never been quite so entertaining. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. The person looks foolish, but they totally lack self-awareness. They just keep going on and on like everything's normal. And again, I suspect you're having trouble thinking of an example of like this, something like this. So let me give you another one. Women, it's Saturday night, and this guy comes over to take you out on a date, and this is like a second date, so you don't know him that well, and he opens the door, and he looks nice, and he looks good. He, he looks like he really cares about the date until he leans in to give that courtesy hug, and you realize he probably hasn't brushed his teeth since the last time you went out. His breath is just horrid. It just ruins everything about the preparation that he did, the thought that he did. This one little act of foolishness, it Covers all the others. He clearly prepared, uh, but you can tell he didn't really fully prepare. Uh, you and me, we fear a lack of self-awareness. It's kind of funny when it happens to the boss's boss, or to that date, or to the. Per- okay, at this point, uh, what are we pitching?
0: What's, what, what's happening? This is the uh, the pitching of the problem. Okay, that the sermon is going to solve. Fear of lacking self-awareness is apparently the problem that's going to be solved here in this sermon. Okay. Now remember the setup. You are listening to the sermon as somebody who has less than a week to live. You will not be alive on the following Sunday. You will not be able to hear the rest of the sermon series. You will be dead. So um, you don't lack self-awareness at the moment. In fact, you have a heightened self-awareness. And the self-awareness that is really heightened at this point is your mortality. That despite the fact that when you were a younger person and you thought you would live forever, I mean, you felt great, your life is rapidly coming to an end. And you know that you will not be alive a week from now. We continue.
6: Professor, but what happens if you and I do something and we lack self-awareness for whatever it is that it is that we do? You've had that dream, right? That dream where you're standing in front of a group of people and realize that you forgot to get dressed That day, right? You've been there, maybe you're wearing your pajamas, or maybe you're dressed in absolutely nothing, but you're standing in front of this group of people and all of a sudden it strikes you what it is you're doing. You lack self-awareness and all of a sudden awareness comes and it just ruins you you, because you're up and on front of all these people. We we fear this. Now, we fear missing self-awareness. We fear saying something or missing something or doing something that other people realize, but we fail to realize ourselves. Self-awareness can be amusing, but it's also dangerous, right? A lack of self-awareness, we instinctively know, is more than just embarrassing because it's not just food or toilet paper or breath. It can be something much, much more significant in a person's life. What if there's something deep within you, something that you kind of sense but you don't sense, you know,
0: and you... Now, as you're listening to him say this, what if there's something deep within you, something you sense, but you don't sense? I mean, this sounds irrational. What's going to come to your mind, since you're you're listening to this through a particular lens? Yeah, all those times I thought there was something wrong with my body, and I didn't listen. How I could have caught the cancer earlier, but I just kept shoving it aside. And by the time I reacted and did something, it, it was too late. I'm going to be dead in a week. I'm desperately seeking answers regarding God, who He is. I, I'm terrified of meeting Him because I don't know how things are going to go. I need some comfort. I need to know that things are going to be all right. I'm going into the darkness by myself. I'm struggling. I'm a, I'm alone. I'm I'm going to die. That's what's going to come to your mind as you're hearing this, right? But that's not what this guy is talking about. He's talking about Dreammaker listening to your life coach.
6: You don't know. You feel, but you don't feel. Now, this is a little bit ambiguous. So you're going to have to kind of emotionally lean in with me on this. But it's something that you hear, but you don't hear. Something that you see, but you don't see. You're aware of it, but you're not aware of it. There's something that's off in your life. Something's not quite right. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the way it is right now in your life. And you know that, but you don't really know it. There's something going on. It's it's deep within you. What happens when there's something within us and we consistently push it down? We consistently push it away. We don't know fully what it is, but we move away from it. Maybe we move away from it out of fear. Maybe we move away from it out of worry. Maybe we we move away from it for for some reason we we don't even know, but we're we're preconditioned to think that it's not possible. Whatever it is, that deep thing within us that says it's possible for you to do that.
0: Now, you're listening to this at this point and going, wow, maybe this guy understands what I've gone through. Maybe this is the place where I can get some answers, right? Because that's exactly what happened to me. I knew I was... Sick. I knew there was something wrong with my body, but I just didn't listen. If only I'd acted sooner. So you're thinking maybe, maybe this is a sign from God that uh, th- this guy has something for me. That everything's got- maybe God is reaching out to me at this point. You you might be thinking that, right? You remember the lens. The lens is you will be dead within the week. You will not make it to next Sunday. You won't even make it to Friday. This is your last Sunday on earth. You have terminal cancer. It's inoperable and it will take your life. You won't be here in a week. So at this point, you're listening going, oh, yeah, I totally am aware of that. Yeah.
6: We think, no, it's not possible. I I could never do that. That could never really happen in my life. And so it's as if we lack self-awareness around that. And we just keep running and running and running in our life. And it may be obvious to everybody else, but it's not obvious to yourself. She could be CEO of a company. She's got the brains. She's got the, the, the communication skills. She's got the abilities. She could do this, but for some reason, she continues to stuff that dream, to to push it away, and to settle for lesser things.
0: Now, at this point, you're going, oh, man, he's not talking about the same thing. Some girl who can be a CEO, what?
6: He could be a really great dad, and he is a dad, but he's not a great dad because he doesn't engage. There's something in his awareness or his lack. He can be a great, I don't need marital advice, and
0: I don't need career advice, no, that's the lens. You're you're dying. You don't need career advice and marital advice or a dream for your life. Your life is over.
6: ...of awareness where he he thinks he can't really do it, and so he doesn't really engage. He doesn't really go for it. He doesn't make the needed sacrifices and the time and give the energy and such. For some reason, he, he pulls back, and, and he doesn't fully become all that he could become. She could have a family. She could be married. It's in her heart to be married. And there are no guarantees. There are never guarantees. But she's, she's nearly guaranteed that she'll never be married if she continues to present herself to the world as if she does. Or as she does. Everything about her continent says, I'm not worthy. Nobody would ever have me. Nobody would ever nobody would ever look at me. Nobody would ever take me. But somebody, somebody would. Just not with the self-destructive gloom and doom that's being presented to the world. It's dangerous to lack self-awareness.
0: Now at this point you're thinking. This is the stuff I hear on Dr. Phil. I, I could have just turned on my television to Oprah. And I could hear stuff like this. You're desperate at this point because you. Are dying. And. You are terrified of the God that you are about to face, and you need answers. You're
6: desperate. It's destructive. It's like we know something's off, something's not quite right, something's out of place, but we fail to truly hear it, see it, or believe we can actually do something about it.
4: My name is Michael, and this is my story.
0: Now, listen, here's Michael's story. Whose story is this? It's Michael's story. Um, as you're listening to this um, testimonial, ask yourself if you need a crucified and risen Savior for this.
4: My whole life, I've been um, absolutely, totally scared to take risks.
0: And I... Notice the sappy music in the background. Hi, I'm Michael and... <laughs> my entire life <laughs> I've been scared to take risks and you could just see everybody going oh Michael I was there too but thanks to Gateway Church I became a risk taker <clears throat> yeah and remember you're listening as somebody who has cancer and who's going to die within the week and you're sitting here going what you were afraid to take risks? I haven't got any risks left to take.
4: Always wanted to have the job that made me look good, that gave me money, where I didn't have to be in a situation without security. The people I was around um, throughout college, throughout high school, they, they had their plans. They're meant to be businessmen. They're successful at, in social situations. They're successful in business situations. And I wanted to be like that so badly, to go into this career and to make this life where your success is defined by how much money you make, by what car you drive, by the size of your house, by what you do. And so I took jobs that look great on paper but were such a mismatch for me. And the first job I took was a financial advisor, and my job is to essentially go around and sell 403b plans to school teachers. And everyone thought I was just as happy as can be, and everyone thought I was.
0: Don't you miss the day when testimonials would talk about sin? Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of testimonies, but back in a, in the day, I remember when testimonies were part of like the Sunday night service or the uh, the midweek bible study and somebody would get up and say yeah you know i used to be a a crack whore and uh, i i i was strung out on cocaine and crack and and turning tricks down the street and then i met jesus and he cleaned me up and forgave me of my sins and now i have a respectable job and I'm engaged, and I couldn't be, you know, th- 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 those were the days. <laughs> well, testimonies included a sin element. Apparently now the sin is how he wasn't a risk taker. And what was the big problem? Well, he just, well, he wasn't satisfied with his career. It sounds like he needs a, a career guidance counselor, not a savior.
4: Deep down, I knew, I knew that's not who I was. Some morning I'd wake up and cry. And some afternoons I'd, w- I'd, just, I'd be there and just cry because I didn't want to be there. And it was eating me up inside. So what I did was I took an assistant job at a financial company. Two years into that job, I got promoted into a... Oh, this is
0: just terrible. Can you imagine he took a job at a financial company? <laughs> what was he thinking? Advisor,
4: but I was still dying inside. I love the people I work with, but I absolutely hated what I did. I hated me.
0: Not living the life I'm supposed to be living. You wake so all you can think, I hate this. I, I'm not what I want to be. Instead of thanking God for the daily bread that He was providing him, pick up
4: and there's nothing to look forward to. There's no hope
0: at all. So now working at a gainful job at a respected company is is well, it, it could incite hopelessness in your life. There's nothing worse than that kind of hopelessness. I mean, that's just utter darkness. In a scripture, we read about Christians who were owned by other people. They were slaves. Mm-hmm. We continue. I ended up staying in sales, but I moved down to Austin
4: and took another prestigious job as sales executive for a television station, thinking, hey, I'm no longer an advisor. I'm in a creative realm, which is a little bit where I wanted to be in the first place in the creative realm but as opposed to following my dreams and doing something creative I'm now back in sales I had quite a bit of success my sales were great uh, I was making a lot of friends I on paper was just doing great
0: okay so he took a job at a television station in sales and he was successful he was successful as a salesman god was gave him gainful employment by which he can serve his neighbor and provide for his needs he was making friends but it was the most agonizing and darkest time of his
7: life
4: mm. but that wore off real quick when i started to realize you're still not doing what you're meant to be doing you're still taking jobs for the wrong reasons and until you break this habit you're going to take the next five jobs you take are going to be great the first year and ter-
0: until you break this i see apparently it's bad i mean until you break this habit now, remember, you're listening as a cancer, well, not even a cancer patient, as somebody who has terminal cancer and will be dead within the week. And you're sitting here going, uh, I, I won't be going to work this week because I'm getting my affairs in order. I have no career changes left to make. I'll be dead. I'm going to be six feet under and face to f- my body's will, will be 6 feet under and i'm going to be face to face with god and here this guy is talk basically speaking about having great jobs that he was successful at and he's talking about that as being a bad habit that uh that created the the, the darkest despair in his life And this kid doesn't even know what despair is. Despair is not being successful at work and having friends. Despair is knowing that the doctor said there's no hope and you're going to be dead within the week.
4: The next is, and that's your life. So I've always thought my whole life that this, ra- this realm, the creative realm, is just not for me. It's it's a It's a dream that I'll never, ever, ever achieve. I wanted to be here, but I had to be here because I was too scared to move and i was at this crossroads and that's when my life coach taught me the difference between a plan and a calling
6: do you hear that he said deep down i knew that's not who i was
0: deep down i knew that's not who i w- what <sighs> I mean, do you need a crucified and risen Savior to get some good career advice? Now, I understand, okay, that it's possible for your gifts to be mismatched in the job that you're in and for you to desire to do something different. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm not hearing is thankfulness to God. Instead, he describes these careers that he was successful at that didn't quite match his skill set and really what he wanted to do as the darkest period in his life and bad habits that needed to be broken. And again, the question comes up, why is this being discussed in church? Where does the Bible offer this great career advice?
6: Deep down, I knew that's not who I was. He knew it, and he knew it all along.
0: This is an exercise in subjectivity. But for one reason... I mean, seriously, I mean, we need the force for this. I mean, so apparently uh, the force was telling him, you know, he was sensing bad vibrations in the force.
6: (sighs) These or another he he pushed it away, he shoved it away he said he said that's that's not something I can have that 's not something I can do. What are you seeing but not seeing? What are you hearing but not hearing? What are you pushing down, pushing away, running from like a person lacking self awareness you press on it may or may not actually be a lack of self awareness you may
0: uh, here we go again the person lacking self awareness <laughs> you are uh, terminal you have terminal cancer <laughs> You are at this point just agonizing, thinking you are totally in the wrong place. You made a really bad decision here. These people are not capable of helping you.
6: you. may be aware of it, but you're treating it as if you're not. You're ignoring it. You're functionally lacking self-awareness. Others even may be very aware, too. Why won't that guy change? He's hard to look at, but he doesn't. He just keeps going on and on as if nothing's wrong. So we're in this series called The Dream Maker. Scripture tells us, Acts 2.17, in these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams.
0: Okay, now stop. Quick question. Acts chapter 2. I think he said Acts 2.17. Does Acts 2.17, when it talks about dreams and visions, is that talking about career advice? That you'll have dreams for great things to happen in your life. Is that what the apostle Peter was was referring to when he quoted the prophet Joel? Let me, um, if you have your Bible, flip over to Acts chapter two, okay? And what we're going to do is uh, let me give you a little bit of context. I've read this passage many times on the air here, okay? And this is uh, this is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Christ has arisen from the grave and he's ascended into heaven. And he's told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit arrives. Okay? So they are, you know, they are at this point, let me just, that's kind of the setup. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now remember, our three rules for proper interpretation context, context, and context. Okay? Acts 2, 1. Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now you're sitting there going, Chris, are you reading the right passage? Because this doesn't have anything to do with career advice or being dissatisfied with your job or having a dream for your life or God having a dream for your life or anything like that. Yeah, I am I am reading the right passage. And if you're sitting there going, that what you're reading has nothing to do with what this guy is preaching. um, Yeah, that's exactly what you should be thinking. Because what I'm reading in context has nothing to do with what this guy is preaching. What this guy has done is he's taken a verse out of context and is telling you a story about it. Uh, that isn't even consistent when you put it back in context with what the story around it really is. In other words, this is he's twisting the Bible and making you feel good about yourself and telling you things that will scratch your itching ears, but he's not preaching Scripture correctly. In other words, this is a form of spiritual deception. Let me continue reading. Okay, so we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and they were perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, Well, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all of you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, none can doubt this, is saying that what these men are hearing, this outpouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit being manifested through people hearing the wonders and mighty works of God in their own language, men of Galilee speaking in languages they've never been trained to speak so that they can proclaim the mighty works of God, that that was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Okay? So, Joel was prophesying about this day, okay? This is what Peter said. He says, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What's the prophecy about? That in the last days, the the days we're living in, which were really kind of kicked off here at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit would not be, would not would selectively indwell only prophets, particular people, holy men or whatever. Okay, but that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. The dam would break and the gift of the Holy Spirit would be for everybody. Men, women, children, old, Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile. And see, the gift of the Holy Spirit now comes the preaching of the gospel, because those who are regenerated by the preaching of the gospel, by hearing repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, the telling of the story of man's fall into sinfulness, your participation with the devil, inciting with the devil against God, and the good news of Christ dying on the cross for your sins and calling you to repent and be forgiven for your rebellion. Through the preaching of that story, God regenerates lost and dead sinners and gives them the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance in the kingdom of God. And the the Holy Spirit isn't for a select group of people anymore. The, The Holy Spirit is for everybody. So that's what Joel is saying here. In the last days, it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall... Prophesy, prophesy, prophesy is to forth tell the mighty works and deeds of God. A lot of people, they don't understand what prophecy is. They think prophecy is, you know, like fortune telling. No, 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 no. Prophecy points you to Christ. Prophecy calls people to repent. Prophecy tells wicked sinners to lay down their idols and to be forgiven. Read the prophets, Okay. So I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So um, uh, Rick Schertz here uh, from Gateway Church is not telling you what this passage really says. This passage does not teach at all that God has a dream and a plan and a purpose for your life, some great and magnificent career advice that if you just make God your life coach, he'll steer you into it. This passage doesn't teach that at all because the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for people to prophesy and call men and women in all nations to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And Joel's prophecy ends with, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This isn't about career advice. This is about salvation. And Rick Schertz here, he's scratching itching ears, and as a result of it, this is a terrible deception that he's engaging in. Now, come back to our premise. You're listening to this as somebody who has terminal cancer. Is this helping you? get your questions about whether or not things are going to be all right when you stand before God.
6: Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In another place we read, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
0: That's just terrible. Uh, He's quoting Ephesians 2.10. In another place it says that uh, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works he he skipped over the like the completely most important parts of that passage he kind of you know gets the you know gets the tail end the tail end thought here but misses the entire thing to flip over to ephesians chapter 2 let me show you what he did here i'm going to read this in context starting at verse 1 although really the greater context begins in chapter 1 but you get what i'm saying if you really want to get the fuller context begin at the beginning of ephesians and then read all the way through um you know to chapter three but uh listen to this and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved. He's talking to Christians. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing; this is the gift of God. It's not a result of work, so that no one may boast. for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that sh- that we should walk in them for we are god's workmanship now here's okay here's the issue here: This letter was written to Christians, so the we are God's workmanship part. In the way Paul is arguing here, this wouldn't apply to people who are unregenerate. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, And see, all of this is connected. You are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we Christians are his workmanship, and we Christians are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Gateway Church engages in a f- form of evangelism, if you want to call it that, that uh, that is uses seeker-driven or purpose-driven methodologies. So the idea here is you make the service more attractive so that non-Christians would feel comfortable coming to your church. But the problem is, is that if a non-Christian hears Ephesians two ten, but doesn't hear Ephesians two, you know, one through nine then they could come to the incorrect conclusion. Wow. Hey, I'm God's workmanship. That's, see, isn't that great? New, oh, wow. I'm, I, non-Christian, am God's workmanship. That's just great. God has a big vision. See, Christianity is all about discovering the vision that God has because I'm God's God's workmanship. Yeah, that completely skips over uh, sin, the fall, um, our need for redemption, our inability to save ourselves, dead in trespasses and sins, and our need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, and he makes us alive. Yeah, all of that is skipped, and now we're misapplying Ephesians 2.10 in such a way that not a non-Christian would hear this and go, oh, wow, I never... Oh, I like this God. He's really for me. I had... So Christianity is all about, you know, this God who's sitting there going, I've been just dying to help you the whole time. You're my workmanship. I I got some great plans for your life. Now as a cancer as a somebody who has terminal cancer listening to this, you're going uh well, that's great for the folks that are here um but I'm about to die. Yeah, God's plans for my life, well, they're done.
6: Now, putting this in the category of dreams and visions and such can be a little bit misleading because we immediately think of the grandiose, the big, the, the, you know, uh, these you know, kinds of uh, far-out kind of things, uh, which is a little bit unfortunate. It can be that, but Scripture redefines greatness. In talking to His disciples, Christ said this. He said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
0: Okay, now, <clears throat> you just heard a, uh, the, uh, a gospel nugget. The passage he read contains the gospel, so... Uh, Because of that, I will absolutely give him credit for that and and give him the uh, gospel nugget sound. There it went. I hope you were able to, uh, that it wasn't a blur for you because that went through so quickly. But see, that wasn't really a main point. It just happened to be part of the passage he was reading.
6: Your life, my life, it can be used to make a difference in the lives of others. It does not have to be self, self-absorbed. It... Uh,
0: Hitler made a difference, and he was completely self-absorbed. Uh, he, his, his actions sure did make a difference in people's lives.
6: It can be used to, to, to meet needs in this world, and there's a lot of brokenness in this world. There's a lot of hurt in this world. There's a lot of hardship in this world.
0: How about sin? I mean, you talked about Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you talk about the ransom part? What does that mean? I mean, that went by so quick. Can you say, whoa, 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 what do you mean by that?
6: Now We're off,
0: off topic again here.
6: And so Christ calls us to serve, to make a difference. There is a dream for your life, a work that can be done.
0: Now, you, you, you as a terminal cancer patient are listening to this going, no, there is no dream for my life. There is no work for me left to do. After I leave the service here today, I'll barely have enough energy to stay awake for the rest of the day. I'm going to be dead in less than a week.
6: Purpose that can be served, it's not just a plan, but it's a calling. It's something that you can do. So how do, we, how do we see it? You know, wh- what do we need? How do we gain awareness of our lives? Or if, if we're aware, how do we gain the courage and the strength to press on and say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to be held back by little dreams. I'm not going to be stifled by my limited plans. I'm going to throw myself. I, I, I'm going I'm to give myself to my calling, to what God has prepared for me to do. Well, truth be told, very often, you and I, we need an outside voice. We need someone to come into our life to speak truth, some, some respected voice, some courageous voice to come into our life and go, are you aware of this? D- do you see the foolishness in your life? Or do you see what you're missing in your life? Or do you see where you're, you're living by fear instead of by courage? Because maybe we don't see it ourselves. Um, Is
0: it possible for a uh, non-Christian, you know, uh, let's say a Muslim, is it possible for a Muslim to live by courage instead of fear? Is it possible for a Buddhist to live by courage instead of fear? Is it possible for a Jew to live by courage instead of fear? How about an atheist? Can atheists uh, seize opportunities, put fear aside, and, and take risks? Yeah, this guy's not preaching Christian sanctification at all. This is a message designed to make people feel good about themselves. And what's been lost? The true biblical gospel. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. In fact, I mean, there it was in the passage he read, but it doesn't really register as anything important. We want you to serve just like Jesus served but how did Jesus serve? Can you explain
6: that, please? We're blinded to it, and we're just keeping going as if nothing is wrong, but something is wrong, something is off, something isn't quite right. We need that voice in our life to speak truth to us. You've got some food stuck between your teeth, or before you go to class, you've got something hanging out of your back there. Or don't, don't go yet. Don't go to your house. Your breath, you need a mint. If somebody would just say something. Let's go to Michael again. And hear what happened in his life.
0: Please, yeah. I mean, th- this is testimony time here at Gateway Church.
4: So, when I finally met my life coach, he absolutely changed my paradigm of uh, a plan versus a calling. We work hard to create a plan, we pour our life into a plan, we sacrifice everything for a plan. But a calling looks a little different because a calling has really nothing to do with your plan, it has everything to do with your God and faith. So, it got to the point probably halfway through our meetings. When I finally realized, wow, I'm just living in a big world of fear. God does not want us to live our life in fear. He wants us to live our life based on absolute trust in him. He pointed me to scripture and pointed me to uh, places in the Bible that showed where people in the Bible, characters in the Bible, literally trusted God with everything they did. And to me, I've always read those stories, but they never really hit home and I never really knew what they meant. I felt this overwhelming desire to just be free. And that's one thing I've never had in my entire life is just to be free, especially in the occupational world. Is I, I always took job after job just in bondage and in prison because that's how I thought life had to be lived And my
0: life coach. By asking, he he took job after job in in bondage and they were a prison. No, thank you, Lord, for providing for my needs. Th- those were just that was just bondage and prison. You, you have no idea what prison is, sir.
4: Asking all the right questions and pointing me to the right scriptures and the right um, stories in the Bible taught me that God wants us to live without any bondage. God wants us to live absolutely. F- now,
0: God wants us to live without any bondage. Question, how is bondage being defined here? Well, the way he's defined bondage is bondage as being in a job you don't like. Even though you're successful at it, you do really good at it, and you have friends at work too. Well, Christ doesn't want you to live in that bondage. What a completely ungrateful, terrible person this man is. He is a wretched sinner. No, thank you, God. I have had to struggle through some pretty schlocky jobs in my life. But each and every one of them, I thank God daily for the bread that he put on the table. God put it there, not me. He gave me the gift of a job and a vocation so that I can meet my needs. Don't we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Daily bread comes from the hand of God. But no, Jesus doesn't want you to live in bondage. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean bondage to sin, death, and the devil. That's not what's being discussed here. No, Jesus doesn't want you to live in bondage in a job that you're just dissatisfied with. Jesus wants you to live life and be satisfied with your
1: career.
0: Try that one on um, slaves. It's scripture, you know, the Apostle Paul, writing during the Rome, the age of the Roman Empire in the first century, where slavery was common. You know, those in the upper class owned slaves. They owned other human beings, and those other human beings did not own themselves. And those slaves heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and worshipped with believers who were freemen, worshipped with their masters. And Paul writes to them and says, Slaves, obey your masters as you would the Lord. Now, correct me if I'm wrong but if you're going to make the claim that Jesus doesn't want you to live in bondage and by bondage you mean a well a mismatched career you know a job that you don't like um isn't slavery by definition bondage and yet Christ through the holy spirit and the pen of the apostle paul tells slaves obey your Masters, as you would the Lord, not doing eye service for them, you know, you know, just just working when they're looking, but work when they're not looking, because it's the Lord who really is looking. So Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, well, the two different persons of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, commands slaves that are in bondage to not only continue in that bondage but to do good work in that bondage and nowhere in the New Testament does it promise them that Jesus really wants to set them free from that bondage that they're currently in yeah they'll be they'll be set free from it the day they die but here on earth there is no such promise that their bondage would end and so the command of God is not that they sit there and Languish and feel that something just isn't right. No. He says, "Serve your masters as you would the Lord." Yeah. You see, again, it's really important that you define terms here. So in this sermon, bondage is not bondage to sin, death, and the devil that Christ has come to set us free from. But bondage—Jesus has come to set us free from the bondage of a of a career that doesn't quite match our skill set for
4: him in his calling, not for you in your plans. When you have a calling in God's mind, you're not a filmmaker or an artist or a musician or a lawyer. Calling is you laying everything down and saying, God, you've created me very uniquely. How can you use the gifts that you created me to advance your kingdom? So my life coach told me to wait 30 days without applying for any job after I left my job. What that meant for me, that had very little to do with being lazy, that had everything to do with not repeating the same patterns, with sitting back and just waiting for God to guide you in the right direction. You don't respond out of fear. You don't respond out of some uh, desire you have to fix the problem. You respond because God wants you to respond.
6: Let me say something boldly that I hope is true. There is a quiet and ever-present whisper in your life. There is a quiet and ever-present whisper in your life saying there's more to it than this. You you can do more than this. There, there's more than just a plan. There's a calling that you can fulfill. That whisper, it can be ignored, but to do so is dangerous. Those that stop, those that listen, they finally...
0: Get- yeah, Here's the deal. These guys have no concept of the doctrine of vocation. If you are working in a job... That's your calling right now. You're called to serve your neighbor in that vocation that you're currently in. That doesn't mean that it's sinful for you to do to seek to have a better job or to uh, advance your career. But if you're not going to stop and pause and thank God for the opportunity to serve and love your neighbor in the calling that you currently have, whether that be trash collector or doctor, whether it be somebody whose job is to scrub out the inside of septic tanks or being a rocket scientist all of them are jobs and opportunities to love and serve your neighbor because every single one of those jobs needs to be done
6: get to hear what they've always been hearing and they finally get to see what it is that they've always been seeing because they, they stop and they listen.
0: And they okay, now I want to point something out here. He's apparently uh, basically making the case that uh, you know subjectively that this is true for you because you have this nagging voice. Apparently, if you've ever had doubts about the career that you're in, that's the voice of God. Why is he uh, arguing it this way? The answer is actually pretty simple. The reason why he's arguing it this way and presenting it this way is because what he's teaching is not taught in the Scriptures. So he needs another source. you know, uh, He needs another uh, river, so to speak, of revelation that he can tap into to justify this teaching because it's not taught in the Bible. And so he's teaching you to go inward, to apparently hear God's voice directly uh, in order to substantiate this teaching, because this teaching is not taught in the Bible. This is the quintessential strategy of of, um, Satan, by the way. Yeah, God's Word doesn't teach this. This is not Christian doctrine. This is not the biblical message. This has nothing to do with, with Christian sanctification. This is just ego stroking, really dressed in pious language and biblical language. And now you're going to hear an apologetic to have you turn inward, to hear a, a voice of God apart from His Word. You'll hear lip service to the Word of God. No, don't, uh, don't worry. He'll, 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 he'll be sure to circle back to you know tie God's Word into it. But at this point, this now becomes a uh, a lesson in pure subjectivity in order to justify the message that he's preaching, because this one ain't taught in the Bible.
6: Quiet themselves so they can hear that quiet voice. They've been running and running and running. They've run up hills and down hills, and they've run so hard that they forget why it is that they're running, but they just keep going until finally they stop. Scripture tells the story of Elijah. Elijah was literally running for his life. Scripture tells us in First Kings he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life
0: okay now notice he's not telling you what elijah was afraid of let me give you a little bit of context okay thumbnail sketch okay god raises up the prophet elijah okay at that time in israel the uh the king and queen were ahab and jezebel okay two uh Two figures you cannot find in history that more that, that, that reflect more the idea of Antichrist than those two. I mean, Jezebel, uh, Jezebel Baal is really her name. Um, she's named after, in part, the, uh, the false deity Baal. I mean, she was, uh, her father was a priest to Baal. I mean, she uh, basically set out on a campaign to eradicate, to destroy, to decimate, to to basically you know expunge all belief in Yahweh in in her kingdom and what happens is is that this causes a, a colossal collision between Yahweh and Baal and so Yahweh raises up the prophet Elijah and uh, basically says listen here's the deal you let the let the people of Israel know you let Jezebel and Ahab know that it will not rain until you say it's going to rain Okay, And you're thinking, well, why why is that so important? Well, because the the myth regarding Baal has to do with rain. It has to do with the fact that he is the god of the skies, that he's the one who brings the rain. So Yahweh demonstrates his authority over Baal, who isn't even a real god. He's not there. um, And shows the people of Israel who's really in charge of the rain. Not Baal, but Yahweh. And so it doesn't rain for a long time period of time and it creates a famine in the land okay you know and so i so elijah he ends up you know leaving israel for some time and then coming back and upon his return um he basically calls for a showdown between him the lone prophet of god and all of the prophets of baal and i think asherah at at, uh, mount carmel okay and you're, you're all familiar with the story Okay. So what happens is is that at Mount Carmel, Elijah and the prophets of Baal have a basically a duel to the death. And the 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 duel goes like this. You you prophets of Baal and Asherah, you prepare a sacrifice and you call on your gods. And I will prepare a sacrifice and I will call on Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is the true God. Okay? That's duel to the death. So whichever God answers, that's the true God. We're talking about objective evidence, baby. So what happens is, is that, well, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, you know, they, you know, they call on Baal for a long time and try to get his attention. Oh, Baal, hear us. But he's not there. The the, the saying, the lights are on, but no one's home. That would be generous because there's no lights and there's no home. Baal is a figment of human imagination. So Elijah, partway through the day, starts taunting them and mocking them. Shout louder. Maybe he's away on a journey. Maybe he's on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that even that's a cleaned up uh, uh, translation. The Hebrew is a lot more blunt than that. Okay. It describes what Baal is doing and in graphic detail, but the gist of it is, is that maybe Baal's on the toilet. And so they cut themselves and go into a frenzy, and, well, Baal doesn't answer. So then, Elijah prepares the sacrifice and tells the people to go and get you know jars of water, and they he builds a trench around his sacrifice and completely just drenches it in water to show that, hey, this is... You know, there's more going on here. And then he prays. And God answers his prayer and sends fire from heaven that consumes his sacrifice. And even looks up the water. And at that point, the people of Israel go, Yahweh is God. And what happens to the prophets of Baal and Asher that are there at Mount Carmel is that they are taken uh, down to a valley and they are all slaughtered. Which was exactly the punishment for false prophets laid down in God's law. You don't like it? Tough. That's what their sin earned them. So when Jezebel hears what happens, when she's told the report of what happened at Mount Carmel, she didn't repent and go, Oh my goodness, Baal's a false god. I need to repent. I need to trust in Yahweh. He's real and Baal isn't. No. In her hardened heart, in her hatred and rebellion towards the one true God, even that didn't bring her to her knees in repentance. Instead, she basically says, if I don't make you like one of those prophets that you had murdered, they weren't murdered, but had killed Elijah, Then, you know, may the the gods deal with me be it ever so severely. So basically, she breathes out murderous threats against Elijah for what happened. And so Elijah, at this point, is fearful for his life, and he splits town. And where does he go? He goes to Mount Horeb, which, which, by the way, the other name for it is Mount Sinai. So he goes to Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given, the mountain of the Lord. And that's where he's, at this point, kind of hiding out for his life. But let's see what... uh, What, you know, Pastor Rick Schertz is going to do with the story, because this is a classic text that people go to in First Kings uh, that, well, it doesn't teach the things that uh, he's going to make it sound like it's teaching. Let's continue.
6: And he just kept running and running, and he he ran and he ran and ran until Scripture tells us he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Which is illustrative, I think, because we run through this life. We hurry, and we scurry, we race, and we dash, and we're running from something, we're trying to run to something, and there's something quiet within us that's speaking to us, but we're pushing it away and pushing it aside and saying, no, not that, not...
0: Notice what he's doing here. He's completely... The, the, he's. This is a facade. He's trying to make it look like he's preaching biblically, but he isn't. He's not really teaching the text, okay? So, it's it's, it's this is just unreal. I've, because I mean, look at us. We go through our lives and we hurry and scurry. The reason why Elijah was running is because Jezebel had threatened to murder him. Okay, let me read to you. It's from First Kings chapter nineteen. If you want to actually kind of pick up what the Bible says here. In fact, if, turn over there. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do some reading here so we can actually read this in context. So the fuller context is the showdown at uh, Mount Carmel. God shows Himself to be real. Yahweh shows himself to be real and, and Baal to be a false god. Prophets of Baal are, are slaughtered and Jezebel, here's what happens here. First uh, 1 Kings 19.1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. He's a fugitive. He's he's If there was television back then, Elijah would have appeared on Israel's Most Wanted. He's a fugitive. So he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the uh, broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, um, there was at his head a cake of bread on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lie down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So God is 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 assisting Elijah here and he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that, of that food for 40 days and 40 na- nights to Mount Ho- to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay. So that's what's going on here. Okay. He's a fugitive. And so he goes to Mount Horeb, which is Sinai. So there he came to a cave and lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he, and said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am, am left and, and they seek my life to take it away. That's why he's there. They're, they're, they want to kill him. He's been jealous for the Lord because the people of Israel have forsaken the Lord. And he's fearful for his life. And he, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by Elijah, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the gate. And and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I even I am, am left only and they seek my life to take it away. So at this point, basically what's going on is God's asking him why he's here, and Elijah, the reason I'm here is because they're seeking my life, and I'm the only prophet of the Lord left. Okay. So this text does not teach, does not teach that God is going to speak to Christians in a still, small voice. That's not what this text is saying at all. This just happens to be the way God chose to spoke to Elijah at this time. But in the text itself, we find that God, the word of the lord came to elijah tell, telling him you know that he was going to pass by and so all of these things were going on outside but that wasn't the lord and then he hears this whisper and it asks him a question Ask him that this is now the second time okay so his answer is i'm the only prophet of the lord left he's fearful for his life and he's been jealous for the for the lord so the lord said to him go return on your way to the wilderness of damascus and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. And you shall anoint to be king over Israel, uh, 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 anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, Ebel Mohala, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave Seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that I have that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God, at this point, commissions Elijah for some more work. His work is to go and, and anoint Hazael, the king of Syria; Jehu, the son of Nimshi; she, he's, he's going to be the king over Israel. Uh, anoint uh, Elisha in his place, you know, the, the prophet who will take over his place. And he comforts Elijah by saying, I, I still have 7,000 in Israel
5: who have not bent the knee to Baal. Don't fear.
0: You can trust God. He will always leave a remnant for himself. Always. Because it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. They will not prevail against the church. And that when Christ returns, there will be Christians on the earth. So, when you read the story in context, it is not teaching that God's going to speak to you in a still, small, subjective voice inside your inner soul. It doesn't say that. Because even the voice that Elijah heard, the the, the whisper, was outside of him, not inside of him. And it's this wonderful, wonderful story of comfort. God kept a remnant for himself. And even though Elijah rightfully feared for his life, God was going to protect him. And furthermore, God was going to keep his name alive. He wasn't going to let faith be extinguished from the earth. There were 7,000 in Israel that God knew who had not bent the knee to Baal doesn't sound like a lot does it doesn't sound like a lot but god knew what he was doing and he commissioned elijah for some more work that's that voice that that whisper was not inside of elijah he heard it with his ears hmm. yeah now let's see what um, rick shirts is going to do with this see if what he's doing uh, makes any sense in light of what we just read in context and then again, keep in mind, you're listening to the sermon as if you have less than a week to live. You've been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and you have less than a week to live. You will not make it to next Sunday. See if this sermon helps you.
6: That, and We just keep running because we want to bury that thing that was in, within us because we love it and we hate it. We want to do it and we don't want to do it. We're, we're scared of it, but we must do it. But, so we, we don't quite know what to do with it, so we push it away and, and we run. Scripture tells us that God then strengthened Elijah. And that Elijah then went to uh, Horeb, the Mount of God, it's called. And it's on the mountain that Elijah, no longer running, sought the voice of God. Listen to how it came, though. 1 Kings 19. A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face And a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah runs and he runs and he runs. And finally he stops and he listens. And he's listening for the voice of God. But the voice of God was not in the wind. And the voice of God was not in the earthquake. And the voice of God was not in the fire. The voice of God came in a whisper. A quiet whisper that we hear but don't hear that we were, we're that...
0: no he heard it it was a quiet whisper and he heard it with his ears it wasn't a whisper that he heard but didn't hear that's stupid because in the whisper God revealed things to him and commissioned him for some more work
6: it's ever-present but we, we kind of push it away Isaiah tells us this listen to this carefully Isaiah 30 your ears shall yeah
0: this is a complete deception He's basically teaching you that this passage regarding Elijah's story is teaching you that God wants to speak inside of you and you can it's this whisper that you hear but don't hear it's that kind of that voice on the wind that you can't just quite make out this is not normative for us and no he's not telling you the truth regarding here he's deceiving you self-deception teaching you to look for God's voice where God's voice has not promised to be
6: hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. You and I, we hear that voice, but we run from that voice because we love that voice and we hate that voice. We want to know what that voice has to say to us, but we're scared about what that voice has to say to us. That's it. We say, when we finally pause, when we finally listen, that's what I've been hearing all along. I needed to hear that. I wanted to hear that. I've got to hear that. Stunning things can happen in our lives if we'll just pause and listen.
0: Pause and subjectively listen for that still, small voice somewhere deep inside of you that you hear but don't hear. This is turning you away. Turning you away from where God has spoken. I know where he's spoken. It's in his word. I can trust that. This stuff, this is a formula for flat-out either satanic or self-deception, both of which are bad.
6: As it happened in Michael's life. During my
4: time of unemployment, I was approached by several companies to come in and work for them, and
0: it just didn't feel right. Uh, About... It just didn't feel right. He was using the force. Reach out with your feelings, Luke. (sighs) come to the dark side. Thirty, thirty-five or forty days
4: after I left my job at the TV station, I was approached by um, a friend of mine who was starting a film production company. My whole life, I've just been thinking, I will never ever be a filmmaker, that's a that's a dream, that's just for people that are not like me. He approached me and he said, Michael, I think you have a lot of relevant experience and
0: I, I really, I really appreciate your business acumen. Okay, remember, you're listening to this through the lens of you have been ter- diagnosed with terminal cancer. You'll be dead within the week. At this point, are you ready to walk out of this sermon?
4: that You bring to situations. I want you to co-found this production company with me. We have scripts that are already written. Could you lead up the business side of our production company? And instead of saying yes right away, what I did do was I go back to my house and I prayed about it. And I prayed about it, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it for about a week. And that week later, I approached my friend again and said, I absolutely will go on this road with you. There was absolutely no guarantee for for money. There was absolutely no guarantee for prestige. And we actually formed a company. We went down to the courthouse and formed an LLC. We then
0: partnered with uh, a very accomplished director. Okay, again, do you need a crucified and risen savior for any of this?
4: Who has done two other feature films, and the next thing we know, we're producing a feature film. And my whole life, I thought I can never, ever, ever produce a film. You will never be that lucky of a guy to produce a feature film. And now I'm doing it. And it was all because I listened to God and trusted God. And that was how my life coach helped me so much. Is he showed me parts of my life that I've never seen before. He pointed me to scriptures that I didn't, that I knew exist, but I never knew how it would be relevant to my life. And he taught me. The most important thing he taught me was that he taught me that a calling has very little to do with a career and everything to do with trusting God. I am no longer concerned. Oh, okay.
0: I read from uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Okay. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Chapter 1. Now, the reason I'm reading from this is uh, keep in mind that um, if uh, if really Christianity was all about you, um, you know, well, Christ setting you free from bondage. Bondage equal, you know, a, a, a dissatisfying job, and that really God wants to give you some big dream for your life. Okay, some big dream for your life. Um, let let's and then. Don't you think that the apostles would have exemplified that? Yeah, because I mean, Jesus handpicked twelve guys. Okay, one of them betrayed him. But Jesus handpicked twelve guys, and he trained them, taught them, you know, basically three years in seminary for these guys directly under Jesus. Okay, so if Christianity is all about having these big dreams for your life, that God is wants to set you free from the bondage of a dead end job that you're not satisfied with, then well, well that's what we'd see in the, the in the apostles, right? So Fox's Book of Martyrs, chapter 1, gives a history of Christian martyrs. And um, we read, let me just read, uh, St. Stephen. Yeah, St. Stephen suffered uh, the next in order. His death was occasioned by the faithful manner in which he preached the gospel to the betrayers and murderers of Christ. To such a degree of madness were they excited that they cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. The time when he suffered is generally supposed to have been at the Passover, which uh, succeeded to that of our Lord's crucifixion and to the era of his ascension in the following spring. Upon this, a great persecution was raised against all who professed their belief in Christ as the Messiah or as a prophet. We were immediately told by St. Luke that there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and that they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. About 2,000 Christians with... Uh, Nicanor, one of the seven deacons, suffered martyrdom during the persecution that arose around Stephen's time. The next martyr we meet with, according to St. Luke, in the history of the apostles in, in Acts, was James the son of Zebedee, the elder brother of John and a relative of our Lord. For his mother, Salome, was cousin uh, uh, Germaine to the Virgin Mary, and was not. it was not until ten years after the death of Stephen That the second martyrdom took place, for no sooner had Herod Agrippa been appointed governor of Judea, with a view to integrate, uh, ingratiate himself with them, he raised a sharp persecution against the Christians, and determined to make an effectual blow by striking at their leaders." The account given to us by an eminent primitive writer, Clemens of Alexandrius, ought not to be overlooked that, it, that as James was led to the place of martyrdom, his accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostle's extraordinary courage and undauntedness and fell down at his feet to request his pardon, professing himself as a Christian and resolving that James should not receive the crown of martyrdom alone. Hence, they were both beheaded at the same time. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup, which which he had told our Savior he was ready to drink. Timon and Parmenius suffered martyrdom about the same time, uh, and the the one at Philippi and the other in Macedonia. These events took place in 44 AD. Uh, Philip uh, was born in Bethsaida. In Galilee and was first called uh, by the name of disciple, he labored diligently under uh, uh, in Upper Asia and suffered martyrdom at Heliop- Heliopolis in Phygria, and was scourged, thrown into prison and afterward was crucified around A.D. 54. Matthew, whose occupation was that of a toll gatherer, tax collector, was born at Nazareth. He wrote his gospel in Hebrew, which was afterwards translated into Greek by James the Lesser. And the scene of his labors was Parthia and in Ethiopia, in which, he, in which latter country he suffered martyrdom, being slain with a halberd in the city of uh, Nadaba in A.D. 60. James the Lesser is supposed to is supposed by some to have been the brother of the of our Lord. By a former wife of Joseph. This is very doubtful and accords too much with the Catholic superstitions that Mary had never been, never had any other children except for our Savior. He was elected uh, to the oversight of the churches of Jerusalem and was the author of the epistle ascribed to James in the sacred canon. At at the age of 94, he was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. At 94 years old, and he had his brains beat out of him. Um, Matthias, of whom less is known than most of the other disciples, was elected to fill the vacant place of Judas. He was stoned at Jerusalem, and then he was beheaded. Andrew was the brother of Peter. He, he preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations, but on his arrival at Edessa, he was taken and crucified on a cross, and the two ends of which were fixed tra- transversely in the ground, hence the derivation of them, St. Andrew's cross. Um, St. Mark was born of Jewish parents of the tribe of Levi. He is supposed to have been converted to Christianity by Peter, whom he served as an... uh, Amunesis, and under whose inspection he wrote his gospel in the Greek language, Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria at the great solemnity of Serapis, their idol, ending his life under their merciless hands. Peter, among many other saints, blessed apostle Peter, was condemned to death and crucified, as some do write at Rome, albeit some others, and not without cause, do doubt, therefore, Hegesippus uh, saith that Nero sought, mat- uh, sought matter against Peter to put him to death, which when, people, uh, which when the people perceived, they entreated Peter with much ado that he would fly the city. Peter, through their importunity, at length persuaded, prepared himself to avoid. But coming to the gate, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ come to meet him, to whom he, uh, to whom he, worshiping, said, Lord, whither dost thou go? to whom he answered and say, I am come again to be crucified. By this, Peter perceiving his suffering to be understood, returned into the city. Jerome says that he was crucified, his head being down under his feet upward himself, so requiring because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same manner as the Lord was. Paul Paul the Apostle, who before Paul uh, before was called Saul, after his great travail and unspeakable labors and promoting the gospel of Christ, suffered also in the first persecution of Nero. Abdeus declared that uh, under his execution, Nero went uh, sent two of his esquires, Ferga and Parthameias, to bring him word of his death. They coming to Paul, instructing the people, desired him to pray for them that they might believe, who told them that shortly after they should be uh, should believe and be baptized at, at, at his prayer's sepulchre. And done, the soldiers came and led him out of the city to a place of execution, where he, after his prayers made, uh, gave his neck to the sword. Jude, the brother of James, was commonly called Thaddeus. He was crucified at Edessa in AD 72. Bartholomew, preached in several countries, and having translated the Gospel of Matthew into the language of Iz- India, He propagated it in that country. He was at length cruelly beaten and then crucified by the impatient idolaters. Thomas, called Didymus, preached the gospel in Parthia and India, where exciting the rage of the pagan priests, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Luke, the evangelist, was the author of the gospel which goes under his name. He traveled with Paul through various countries and is supposed to have been hanged on an olive tree by the idolatrous priests of Greece. Simon, surnamed Zelotas, Simon the Zealot, preached the gospel in uh, uh, Maritania, Africa, and even in Britain, in which later country he was crucified in A.D. 74. John, the beloved disciple, was uh, brother to James the Great. The churches of Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira were founded by him. From Ephesus, he was ordered to be sent to Rome, where it is affirmed that he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil, He escaped that death by miracle without injury. Domitian afterwards banished him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Nerva, the successor of uh, of Domitian, recalled him, and he was the only apostle who escaped a violent death. Barnabas was of Cyprus, but of Jewish descent. His death is supposed to have taken place about AD 73. And yet, notwithstanding all of these continual persecutions and horrible punishments, the church daily increased, deeply rooted in the doctrine of the apostles and the men of, 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 of apostolic teaching and watered plenteously with the blood of the saints. So all these guys that are out there who are preaching that God has this fantastic plan for your life... um. Where did that play out again in the lives of the apostles? All of them, with the exception of John, were martyred horribly. And the, the in fact, the church grew as, well, Fox puts it here, uh, was watered by the blood of the saints. The church was watered by the blood of the saints. Yeah, I, I'm not hearing this apost- i am not hearing sound biblical apostolic doctrine at this point. I'm hearing egos being stroked and a false gospel being proclaimed, one that makes people feel really good about themselves because God wants them to have a fulfilling career, great plans for their life. I'm sure the Apostle Peter would have loved to have worked on a on a feature length movie. Consistently meeting with my life coach,
4: uh, I see him quite a bit. We're great friends. But my real-life coach is who he pointed to me to in the first place. It's God and it's the Word. Whenever I have doubts, whenever I have uh, challenges, whenever I'm like, oh, God, did you, do you really want me to go down this path? Did I make the right decision? I always go back to him and he always affirm to that. Is-
0: so remember, you're, you're listening to this sermon as somebody who's been ter- uh, diagnosed with cancer. You'll be dead within the week. Do you need a life coach? <laughs> no, at this point, you need a death coach. Is my real
4: life coach because I know he always holds the mirror in front of my life. He always points me to the relevant scriptures and he shows me over and over again the value and the benefits of trusting him. And that made all the difference in the world. When you open up your ears and you listen to what God has to say, he'll tell you things you had no
0: idea he can even tell you. If you open up your ears, not open up your Bible, if you open up your ears, God will tell you things you never even knew were possible. Wow, what a great God.
6: That's not the biblical God. God absolutely guided me. What's it going to take to shed our foolishness? To get... uh, what's it going to take to shed our foolishness? Apparently, you need to repent
0: of uh, working in a job you don't like.
6: Gain self-awareness? To, to become aware of what we've been aware of all along, but kind of ignored, kind of stuffed, kind of pushed away? What is it going to take for us to become aware of that? Well, we need a voice in our life. Someone to speak into our life, to what about a savior to, to show us what's going on in our life, so we can see what we've been seeing all along? Now, uh, this message is about God being our life coach, and next week John is going to
0: God being our life. Where does the Bible teach that God is our life coach? Where does God ever present Himself as such?
6: Talk to us about surrounding ourselves with what we're calling our personal board of directors, and I hope you hear some tension in that. I hope you hear the vertical between you and God and the horizontal between you and others. Because the reality is God uses people to speak into our lives, but God is our ultimate life coach. Listen carefully to these couple passages. Matthew 28. God is our king.
0: He's our great God and Savior. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And now... (laughs) He's your life coach. Yeah, I don't see any scriptures that talk about that. In fact, I think this really robs God of his true glory and who he has revealed himself to be. Because really coaches kind of you know they're they're they they they're behind the scenes guys who help people achieve greatness so that they can have their moment of glory. I don't see Christianity teaching that at all. Because it says that in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is, you're not Rocky. Let me put it this way. You're not Rocky and Jesus isn't Mick.
2: Come on, Rock. You got to get out.
0: No, that's not Jesus. This is just an abomination. Because God is robbed of his true glory and who he's truly revealed himself to be. And he takes on basically a cameo role in your life, coaching you to your greatest glory.
6: Hmm. Excuse me, 23, verses 8 through 10. But you are not to be called rabbi, Christ said. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Or you have one life coach, God himself.
0: The, the scripture does not say anything about a life coach. It, 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 uh,
6: backing it up, I want to see
0: what he's talking about. Hang on a
6: second here. God uses people to speak into our lives, but God is our ultimate life coach. Listen carefully to these couple of passages. Matthew 28, excuse me, 23, verses 8 through 10.
0: Matthew 20, I don't know any, apparently he's making it look like uh, Matthew uh, gives us I'm gonna to have to look this up in the uh, <clears throat> in the message paraphrase, um, but apparently Matthew 23 teaches us that God's our life coach. Matthew 23. Okay, the message. I I don't own this. It's on the internet. Just I can never pay pay money to this thing. Okay, let's see. Um, well, here it is in the message. Don't let people do. That to you put on uh, put on a pedestal like that. You are you have a single teacher. You are all classmates. Do not set people up as experts of your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let Him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father, and He's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you, and them, and that's Christ. <clears throat> <clears throat> Let me read it in a good translation. I got to purge my mind of that. Oh man. Just drives me crazy when people twist the Bible like this. All right, let's see here. Um okay. Uh 23 Uh what? A- But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You are all brothers, and no one, man no man your father on earth, for you all have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah, that's a horse of a different color altogether. So let's uh, listen now and see what he does with Matthew 23.
6: But you are not to be called rabbi, Christ said. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Or you have one life coach, God himself. Then in 1 John we read...
0: Yeah, the Matthew 23 does not teach that we have a life coach. He's totally read that in there, and it doesn't
6: belong. As for you, the anointing receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things... And as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. There is a voice that wants to speak into your life.
0: Yeah, I agree. There is a voice that wants to speak into your life. And if it's that voice isn't grounded in God's word, it's not from God. It's a satanic voice, a voice that. Stroke your ego and make you feel important when in reality you need to be called to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. By the way, Jesus talking about the, the Holy Spirit and when he would send it said that the Holy Spirit would do some particular things. I mean, if you're going to make the case that um, that you know, the, the, it's really God, the Holy Spirit, who is um, going to be doing the speaking, we can, we can know when the Holy Spirit is speaking. Uh, let, let me read uh, Jesus' words here for you. Yeah, open your Bibles to John 16, okay? John chapter 16. I'll start at verse 5. If you want to read the fuller context, please feel free to do so, but watch what Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do. Uh, But now I'm uh, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Yeah, when the Holy Spirit uh, is doing his work, He's convicting the world of sin and unrighteousness and unbelief. That's what the the Holy Spirit's doing. Are you hearing people's sins being confronted? Are they being confronted with their sin and their unbelief and their unrighteousness? And being pointed to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins in the sermon? Not at all. Instead, this is an apologetic for you to start listening for voices on the wind that you can hear but don't hear, you know, basically turning you into some kind of a Christian Jedi. I feel the force within me. Mm -hmm.
6: There is a voice that wants to bring awareness into your life. There is a voice that wants to make known the unknown, to call out of you what it is that you need to be aware of more than anything else. In his thoughtful book, Axiom, Bill Hybels talks about how from time to time other leaders will come to him and ask him Uh, to be...
0: I just need to point out the book Axiom is not found in the Bible, and Bill Hybels is not uh, an apostle.
6: Their mentor. Uh, He has done a lot to raise up leaders, but he says he's often cautious about people's expectations when it comes to mentorship. Hear carefully what he says here. Let me read it. What concerned me more than their temerity was the expectation... Behind the question, would you be willing to listen to and counsel me, mold me and shape me, direct me and instruct me and hold me accountable? Would you cajole me and encourage me and essentially reparent me? Would you fill me with your fount of knowledge so that I don't have to search it for myself? Would you, O oh great mentor to be, please serve as my all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, omnipresent confidant and master, teacher and exhorter, friend and guide from this day forward till death do us part? Truth be told, they didn't really want me. What they really wanted, ironically enough, was someone who does not exist, at least not in the realm of life we call nonfiction. They wanted Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Now, you hear that, and it sounds kind of silly, but the reality is, you and me, we long for that go-to person, that go-to guy, that go-to gal who we can bring our every question or every thought or every concern. Okay, I, I'm going to point something out here because here's the irony of it.
0: He's correctly identified the problem, but the problem is that he's presenting the problem as the solution. Work with me for a second. He just quoted Bill Hybels from his book Axiom, basically claiming that when people come to him and want to be mentored by him, that in reality what they're really looking for is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. And so now, based upon what, the, what he's basically described God and what God wants to do for you, uh rick shirts here is presenting jesus to you as obi-wan kenobi you can be um jesus's padawan learner and learn how to discern the subjective uh musings and blowings of the wind of the spirit in your life that you can hear but not hear and you can reach out with your feelings and and uh and and grab onto those nagging subjective th- nudgings of the of the the force i mean the holy spirit mm-hmm. so here he says that the 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 thing that uh hybel says is the pro is a problem about when people come to him their expectations are looking for obi-wan kenobi well no problem here rick shirts is presenting jesus as obi-wan kenobi for you isn't
6: that great and they're this fount of wisdom this fount of knowledge that we can drink from and we we get insight whenever we need it. We get the, 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 you know, the perspective we have. And the reality is that person doesn't exist. Who among us, though, doesn't long for that? You know, maybe the next book will do it. Maybe the next conference will do it. Maybe the next church service will do it. The next friend will do it. But the reality is none of them do it. All of them fall short. Even cha-cha fails us, right? You know cha-cha? Uh, you can text any question to 242-242 and get an answer. You can try it. I tried it this past week. I texted, what is the meaning of life? Almost instantly, I got back the response, that's a deep question to try to answer in a text message. <laughs> you know, it, cha-cha can't be God. As we just read, you have one teacher, the Christ... And in 1 John, his anointing teaches you, God teaches, God whispers, God leads, God speaks. God wants and God is willing to be your life coach. Again, which Bible passage
0: actually clearly teaches that God wants to be your life coach to help you achieve the great, big, earth-shattering, life-changing, make-a-difference-in-the-world
6: dream? God's willing to speak into your life. We can spend our lives rifling through one book. He's willing. Yes, he got, he's willing. He, yes, he, God's
0: willing to take you on as a Padawan learner and to speak into your life. Well, what do I got to do then? Yeah, here's the hook. Here comes the law.
6: book after another, one conference after another, one church service after another, and we can miss pausing and just listening for the voice of God in our lives. We have available to us the Spirit of God. But hold that thought because you can take that and be a little out of balance with it. The reality is there's a lot of projecting that goes on. God told me this. God told me that. And, and I hear that sometimes. And I, I hear what supposed.
0: Yeah, but what you're basically teaching people to do is to, you know, exercise their feeler muscle to figure out what God is saying. If you want, you want to hear what God has said, read the Bible. Have somebody read it to you if you want to hear what God has said.
6: Supposedly, God told someone, I'm thinking, I'm not so certain that God told you that. And so we, we need to listen into Scripture and into our lives and, and into reality and go, okay, how do we hear and how do we discern the voice of God in our lives? We just heard Michael go on and on about his human life coach. What's Scripture saying when it says all we need is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's complement that thought with this. 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it.
0: Notice he's not reading any verses in context. Just one verse here, one verse there, and weaving together a story with them. You know what this is? When I was, again, when you take verses out of context and then weave a story about them, this reminds me of a program I used to watch when I was a kid. Now, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. And, um, yeah, that's right, Just, just right after Noah got off the ark, but uh anyway uh, when i when I was a kid, there was a television program called the liars Club okay and the, and what the premise behind the Liars Club was that the, what they did is they had these bizarre objects, and they had celebrity guests on the program who were members of the liars club and so what would happen is, is that they would they, they would take an object, remove it from its context so you may not be familiar with it, and then pass it around to the four celebrity guest uh Guests on the program, and each of them would tell a story about this object and try to convince you uh, what it was used for. And so, because it was removed from its context, you weren't able to see where it came from. The stories they w- w- would weave about it were, f- were bizarre, sometimes were just outright bizarre. Uh, but the idea is one of them was telling the truth and then the other three were lying and you had to bet money to figure out which you know, and, and guess which one was telling the truth and which one was lying. That's how this all worked out. And so um in fact that's what's happening when you rip these verses out of context this you're engaging in the same technique that was used on the, on the Liar's Club you rip it out of its context and then tell a story about it to make it say something that it, it really doesn't say when you put it back in its context you realize oh my that's not what it says here let me here I I I dug up a previous installment of the Liar's Club uh, so that you can kind of hear how this works. Uh, I, I, this is from the '70s. Listen, in.
7: let me tell you how we play it. Those four innocent-looking faces and smiling mouths over there are going to tell you terrible fibs. You have to figure out which one is fibbing and which one is telling the truth. It's not easy. It's pretty tough as a matter of fact. We'll give you a hundred dollars to start the game. You can bet that hundred dollars every time you get a chance to bet. This is round one. We make the odds one to one. means we pay off your bet at even money. you ready? Okay, make a whole bunch of money. Oh, I have the first thing right here. Just slipped my mind. I'll show it to the folks at home.
0: Okay, now what he's holding up in his hand is a yellow triangular piece of plastic. That's what he's holding up in his hands. I, I wish you could see it, but you can't. And uh, it's, it's about the size of a human hand. It's, it may be a little bit smaller than that. Uh, it would fit. It would fit in your palm, but you, you get—it's basically a, a, a yellow triangular piece of plastic.
7: This is what they're going to be telling. It's a little thin piece of yellow plastic. That's it, gang. Now, and
0: see, here's the deal. We have no idea what this thing is for because it's been removed from the context in which it would normally be used. I mean, it would normally be used at the Liars Club. Now, if we saw it in its natural environment, in the context that it normally is used. We'd know what it was, or maybe we can ask what it's used for, and it would make sense.
7: Now I'll show it to our players, Marilyn, Ed, Emiko, and Betty. That's it. Know exactly what it is now, right? Well, neither does Larry. (laughs) Yes, I do. You do? I I think this is a charming object, because... Tell us about it, Larry, won't you? Oh, tell us. This is for bicycles, (laughs) and this is a a bicycle noisemaker. See when bicycles have parties, they like to make noise too, <laughs> and that's what this is. It's a, actually a reflector noisemaker. It goes in the spokes, and uh-huh. as you pedal, it goes flap 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 like the card used to do in the spokes. It's a noise-making reflector for bicycles. A noise-making reflector for bicycles. <laughs> Terrific.
0: Now I think this is Joey Bishop.
7: You're gonna love it at the home. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is now plastic, but originally it was made of wood. And uh, your your uh, pick, your modern pick today for the mandolin or for the guitar. Have you ever seen anybody strum a lute? You would know about that. Mr. Yes. Robin Hood, yes. Alan Adair. There was uh, the lute was a, a much more uh, difficult instrument to just do like you would with it. And this was a, however, in those days it was made of wood. And they still make the plastic for those people who might want to play a lute. A lute and mandolin kick.
0: Okay, notice uh, this object has been taken out of its natural context, and now we've got two completely conflicting stories as to what it is. That's the whole premise behind the Liars Club. Let's hear story number three.
7: Joey plays a mandolin, by the way. Do you know that? He does. plays very well. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. He's, he's also a, a wonderful golfer. I don't know much about golf, but I'm sure you don't realize this. Uh, I was, uh, I'm was, from Alabama, and I'm a great skier. And um, I don't mean to brag. I love to fly over that ice. This is a <laughs> wax scraper. You know, when you go do your skiing, you have to clean your skis, and you take this and you scrape the old dirty wax off of it with this, and then you put new wax on it, and you can just scoot right across the rink. This is a toco. <laughs> Uh, wax scraper. Oh, wax scraper. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so this yellow triangular piece of plastic, one says it's a wax scraper, another says it's a mandolin uh, pick, another one says that it's a, uh, it, it goes in the a bicycle spokes and makes noise.
7: Straight right across the ring. When uh, when I was in the service, I was in G2 intelligence, which shows you the kind of trouble our country's in. <laughs> but uh, this was a radiation badge. We we all had to wear these where we were working down there. And even when we went into entertain, I was actually in special service. When we went down to entertain and everything, we all had to wear them in case there was a radiation leak. And this would change color. Uh, the pin, you can see where the pin was here. There's a little hole where the pin used to go in. And just put it right on there like that. And this would change color and let you know if there was a radiation leak. You had to wear it at all times. Then it was too late, right? <laughs> yes, it would change
0: color. Okay, I want to point something out here. Okay, now we've got four completely different stories for this object taken out of context. And now it's up to you to figure out which one it is. This is exactly the same technique used when people rip verses out of context and tell you stories about what those verses say. That's why our primary rule for biblical interpretation is context, context, context. You put it back in its context, and all of a sudden you know what those passages are saying, and you can, in 96% of the time, uh, you know, can spot Bible twisting going on. So, by the way, if you uh, for those of you just wondering, well, what is it? Which what which story is right? Because all of those people told it so convincingly, and that's how you have to look at people who are ripping verses out of context. They really are um, members of the liars' club.
7: <laughs> yeah, you know, Larry said it was a noise-making bike reflector. Joey, the mandolin player, said it was a lute or a mandolin pick. Fanny said it was called a toco. Scraper for yellow waxy buildup on your skis, (laughs) and Dick set a radiation badge. There you are. Those are the stories. Your first chance to make some money, Marilyn. I'm going to go twenty dollars for Fanny. Twenty dollars, okay. Ed, I'm going to go ten dollars, Bill. Ten, already. Emeco.
1: I'm going to uh, bet ten dollars.
7: Ten dollars, and Betty.
1: I'm going to bet twenty dollars, Bill.
7: Twenty dollars. Two twenties, two tens. We'll find out right now. Joe Sider, what is that tiny yellow thing? Well, that
5: tiny yellow thing came to us from United Sporting Goods out in North Hollywood, and if you're a ski person, you know what that is. It's a ski wax scraper. <laughs> Ta-da!
0: Yeah, if you had seen it in its context, you would have known what it is, but here's, you got four fanciful stories about it, and one of them was true and the other ones were not. People who take passages out of context are engaging in the same technique used in the liar's
6: club. We continue with our sermon. And that you there is plural. You, church, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And if you're the body of Christ, part of the body is the mouthpiece, and you can speak sometimes, and God can speak through you sometimes. The bi- the, that passage does not say that we can speak for God. And so we need to listen, not just to our own impressions and inclinations, but we need to listen for the voice of God and others. Proverbs tells us, No, we don't need to listen to the voice of God and others. We need to hear God's word as he's revealed and spoken in his word. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. God speaks, and one of the ways He speaks to us is through other people when we're willing to listen. Sometimes this happens. The Bible never
0: says that. He's taking it out of context, and He's engaging in the liar's club technique.
6: Happens in the most unlikely of places. Uh, my father in law uh, tells a story about his days as a young dad. And he tells about one particular time when uh, he went to the dinner table with his two kids, one of whom would later become my wife, and he asked them a question. He asked, if you could change one thing about your dad, what would you change? And then he told them to be quiet for a moment and think about it before they answered. And when they had an answer, kind of raised their hand and and. Tell them what they would change. And so wait a little bit and they raised their hand, expecting them to speak kind of one at a time. Instead, in unison, he said, in unison, they responded, Dad, you yell at us and it hurts. Twenty years later, he's relating this story to me with tears in his eyes. And he says, if that's not the voice of God, I don't know what is. God speaks when we're willing to listen. He speaks through his body, his people. Uh, Basically, the way he's talking
0: about it, I mean, I remember the uh, legal battles regarding pornography uh, that were kind of brought about uh, through the efforts of the religious right and their culture warring, okay? And um, one of the things uh, regarding pornography was that it was just ridiculously difficult to define legally, and they ended up coming up with, you know, I remember a quote from one judge saying, I don't know how to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. So apparently, you know, we, uh, I can't exactly explain for you to know how God is talking to you, except for when you hear it, you'll know that it's really God.
6: People. He speaks through children. He speaks through friends. He speaks through you. And maybe most importantly, God speaks through Scripture, which leads to what may... So this is basically God is speaking through
0: all kinds of different channels. Oh, and Scripture too. How is this different than the Catholic position that uh, we have an unwritten oral tradition that is authoritative and we also have the Bible that's authoritative? We we now have competing tracts regarding revelation. And this one's all about teaching you how to listen for that subjective revelation.
6: Maybe the most important insight. Now, the often quoted verse in Scripture about Scripture is critical. Consider it carefully. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, we hear that and we read that and we think, I don't want training in righteousness. I want to know the dream. I want to know the vision. I want to know the big
0: thing God... Okay, look at how he's holding it out. The, the, the dream and the vision, the, the big plan for your
6: life, that's the carrot. Here comes the law. It ...has for me to do. Training in righteousness, that's for other people. What I want to know is, is this purpose and this thing and this calling that I have. Well, this is kind of a bold truth in Scripture, so I want to handle it carefully. But listen closely what Proverbs tells us. And then First Peter, Proverbs says this, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Uh, That's
0: correct. So the question is, is that how do we uh, achieve a righteous standing before God? That's the question. How do we achieve a righteous standing before God? Now, remember, you're listening to this uh, sermon as if you are a cancer patient. Uh, Your ears have uh, perked up here. You know you're going to die within the week. Uh, uh, God hears the prayers of the righteous? Oh, man, I haven't been... I guess God's not going to listen to me.
6: I don't have time to make myself righteous. And First Peter, uh, he gives this principle some, from Flash when he's talking to husbands, and he tells husbands to live with their understanding of their wives, he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Strong, strong statements from Scripture, but essentially telling us that, that God wants to speak. God wants to be vocal in our lives. He wants to be, but you're not righteous. Our lives. God wants to guide, but the reality is, if the actions of our lives scream to God, I'm not willing to listen to what you have to say, then God's not going to speak.
0: Yep. Yeah, pull over. Uh, this is the law now. Um, yeah, see, if you're not, if, if you just don't do the right things, if you're not righteous, God's not going to speak to you. So you better get busy cleaning up your life to make yourself righteous enough for God to actually reveal the big plan.
6: He's not going to converse. But if the actions of our lives say, I am interested in what you're having to say, then he does speak and he does guide and he does lead. So uh,
0: any of you listening, do the actions of your life actually show that you, you are perfectly willing to listen to God? I mean, if you're sinning, then wouldn't that show God you're not ready and willing to listen? You're sinning. You're disobeying Him. You don't love Him with all your heart, otherwise you are not sinning. So, I I mean, does God grade on the curve here? So if you only sin 50% of the time, or if you have a 32% improvement in your sin maintenance, then God will speak to you and reveal the plan? This is works righteousness.
6: It's as if Scripture is telling us, you know, you want to hear God's voice. You want to get guidance for his dream for your life. Well, here's a starting point. Let's start with this. Here's the dream. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend, right? Or stop being such a jerk at the office or stop cheating or taxes. Stop lying to clients. Yes, I know. I know. We say, but I want to know God's dream for my life.
0: Where's the cross? It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is just, uh, well, behavior modification, disguised as repentance. Is it really repentance if the reason why you're modifying your behavior is so that you can get the big carrot? You know, the big dream that God has for your life? Still really all about you, isn't it? Oh, if I can just fool God into thinking I'm righteous. Fuck, I'll stop sleeping with my girlfriend if I can have the big, successful, fulfilling career. (laughs)
6: Yeah! I... Well, the reality is, if our lives say we're not interested in God's dream, for our lives, God's voice in our lives, then God, it can be very quiet in our lives. But if we're listening and we're open, then He does lead and He does guide. Romans 12:2 says this, "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.":
0: Yeah, Romans 12. They, what is it with these guys? They never get through Romans 1 through 12 uh, one through 11. We always just start and, it's as if the book of Romans begins at verse 12. Yeah, because the first 11 chapters, yeah, it's all about Christ and him crucified for our sins and the gospel and salvation by grace alone through faith alone by Christ. Work alone that none is righteous. No, not one. And no one will be justified before God, declared righteous before God through the law. Yet this guy is teaching righteousness through the law. He's teaching righteousness through behavior modification. Because remember, remember, God's willing to talk, but he's only willing to talk if you're going to show him that you're you're ready to listen. So you got to give up your sin. you got to obey him. And then he'll start talking to you. Then. Yeah, the problem is, is that we all sin daily and sin much. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's part of the daily prayer Christ has told us to pray. No forgiveness of sins here, though. None. This is just behavior modification, repentance, self-righteousness. Repentance without forgiveness. Behavior modification without the cross. Again, I can get this from Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil does a great job of behavior modification.
6: Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed first by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to discern what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. The person who's willing to let himself be transformed or herself be transformed by the renewing of the mind and not be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore is the person who has ears to hear that whisper in their lives. Now, I want to ask you a question.
0: So you can only hear the whisper if you obey. Again, remember, you're listening through the lens of being a, you know, told that you have less than a week to live. Uh, with that in mind, how do you feel? Yeah, any of your questions being answered? How do you think you're going to stand before God at this point?
6: What if we really did this? I mean, not just kind of did this.
0: Yeah, what if we really did this? Go ahead and try, please. See if you can pull yourself up by your self-righteous bootstraps.
6: But really did this? What if we really opened ourselves up to the voice of God in our lives? This past week, I was praying for this very moment. And I wrote in my journal this line, what would it be like if thousands of people stopped and listened? And then I said, Father, that would be profound. Uh,
0: This is a pipe dream. What if the church actually got back on task and preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins? And told people not to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but proclaim the good news that Christ has done it all for them in his perfect life, death, And resurrection for our sins and for our justification. Repent of your wickedness, turn and receive the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, that salvation is all his work, and that our good works are grounded in Christ and His cross. And apart from them they are not good
6: works. What would it be like if we paused and we listened to go okay, God, what what do you want to say into my life? What do you want me to be aware of? What is it that's blaring?
0: It, it's, it's blaring. It, it's, there's yeah, you're Bible-twisting and self-righteousness and crossless Christianity and false doctrine and false gospel about dreams.
6: There's this degree of foolishness in my life, let's say, that thousands of others, they can see it, but I'm refusing to see myself that I I need to do business with, I need to shed this foolishness, I need to shed this lack of self-awareness, I need to be rid of that and move on, and I need to stop stop conforming to the pattern of this world and be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can really listen and really follow and hear what you have for my life.
0: I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, law, 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 law. This isn't the gospel. This is just pure, unadulterated
6: law life what if we pause to hear what he has to say for some we'll hear you're running from shame you're running from guilt you can stop running no more shame no more guilt you can be free of that i am the god of grace oh
0: well great can you put that in context? what does that mean that he's a god of grace you talk you're going to talk about sin now breaking god's law rebellion against god and the forgiveness of sins won by christ please
6: wants us to experience that grace. For others, we'll hear, you're running from me. You think that if you come to me, if you follow me, if you obey me, that I'll ruin your life. I'm not going to ruin your life. I'm going to give you life. I'm the creator of life. I know how this deal works. Pause. Yeah, my problem is
0: I don't obey him. I need, I need a solution for that problem.
6: Listen and follow. For others still, we'll hear about this specific thing that God wants us to do, this risk that he wants us to take, this, this cause that he wants us to, to embrace this way that He wants us to go and make a difference in this world. And it's something that we've wanted to do all along, but maybe we've lacked the courage, or we think we've lacked the finances, or we, we're just not quite sure how to go about it. But if we pause, if we stop, if we listen, we'll hear Him say, you're not too old, or you're not too young, it's not too early, it's not too late. This is not in the Bible, and this is just ridiculous. Just listen. I have something for you, something that I want you to do. I have someone I want you to be. I I have a need that only you can meet. Don't rush. Don't hurry. But also don't waste. Don't spend your life running and pushing and striving. Pause and listen, because I'm here. And I want to do something in you, and I want to do something through you. What if that were to happen? Multiply throughout this church, the impact. He's vision casting at this point. It's just completely
0: useless. It's so off topic, and it's distracting people away from Christ and him crucified.
6: I mean, where? Oh, yeah, Jesus is just the life coach. I forgot. Yeah. And the influence that could be happening ever increasingly in our lives and through our lives. That's a dream worth realizing. That's a vision worth fighting for and going for and saying, that's what I want to see happen in my life and in my friend's life and in my family's life.
0: This is just so self-me-centered. It's ridiculous.
6: That's what I want to see happen.
0: So there you go. That was the sermon. So uh, let's kind of wrap this up here. You listen to it through the lens of you were a person who heard from your doctor that your cancer is terminal and you have less than a week to live and are you any closer to God now did this help you at all not a bit yeah that if that person really did show up at that church on that Sunday they're going to their grave in despair And their soul will burn in hell. The church is off topic. The church has forgotten her charter. Forgotten that it's Jesus who gets to set the mission and the vision. And he's already done so in his word. This is off mission. This is a false gospel. This is Bible twisting. And what Rick Schertz did here. He participated in the Liars Club. Ripping verses out of context and telling you stories about them that were not true. God doesn't promise any of this. The message we've been giving given is to call people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Your sins and mine. We're to point to Christ and Him crucified. His life, death, and resurrection. The scriptures are about Him, not me, not you, not our dreams, not our visions, none of that stuff. It's about calling rebel sinners to lay down their arms, confess their sinfulness and their rebellion, plead guilty, and then hear the not guilty verdict based upon Christ and Him crucified in the substitutionary death on the cross. Christ was not glorified. God was not exalted. Sound biblical doctrine was not taught in this sermon. Just a tapestry of self centered. If you'd like to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, we could use your support. You can partner with us financially in order to get this important discernment radio ministry out to you as well as to the world by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, piratechristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.